0: Cool. Oh, All right. Serious. Let's so get into it. Just today <laughs> we have a director of a really wonderful horror short film. Uh, we met him at the New Jersey Horror Con and Film Festival as well, and his film won the award for best cinematography, I believe, and also got a slew of other nominations. Uh, welcome, the director of the Dark Strums, Stephen Russell. Hey guys. Stephen, for being here.
1: Oh, hey, thanks hey. For having me because this is really cool. This
2: is really cool. I enjoyed this. good good i'm glad you're excited man thank you again for coming to hang out with us by the way i'm very curious what does your shirt say
1: uh j'adore paris
2: oh very cool it's, nice. a, it's a tourist
1: That's... shirt oh fair enough okay fair enough we all have
2: I, have I have a lot of hard rock cafe shirts so i'm right there with you. The, um, so thank you so much man for, for hanging out with us i'm so sorry that i wasn't able to um to meet you in person um at new jersey um mm-hmm. uh, i had uh, other obligations uh to attend unfortunately out of town uh, rocking away with uh, my day job so um
1: uh, happens to, to all of us it
3: certainly does it yeah, certainly I mean, does so you're training to be a wrestler or something <sighs> yeah, you're, you're, you're gonna have to do that you've already you're you're trained out, to be a wrestler
2: here. Oh, okay. Well, so, Steve, Steve asked, so now I have to explain this. Okay, so, so while I was in Dallas um, uh, training, one of our good friends uh, of the whole group posted a video that spread like wildfire among all of our friends of yeah. a uh, professional wrestler. I do not know this guy's name, um, but I've been t- I been—I knew about him before this whole incident. I thought he disappeared from my life, but apparently <laughs> these guys dug him up and and found out. I've been told by many people that if they ever need, made a movie about this guy, I would have to play him because I look just like him except not as beefed up. Um, uh, and uh, there's a the vi- in the video, he rocks a light blue, a, a fucking like baby blue periwinkle Canadian tuxedo <laughs> like no one's business with sunglasses and wrestles about five to ten dudes with his hands in his pocket. Um, uh, jumps cool. off of, yeah, jumps out of the ring with his hands in his pocket and just tackles a whole of guys and then never, never takes his hands out of his pockets. It's actually, it's pretty damn cool. Um, uh, but apparently, um, <laughs> it, I know it sounds ridiculous the way I explain it, but when you see it, you're like, oh, that's, that's actually, that's actually pretty cool. <clears> no, <throat> it's still ridiculous. <laughs> oh, but, but, but it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous awesome. Let's go with that. <laughs> um, uh, and, uh, they all said that I looked just like him. So the rumor is that I actually did not go down to Dallas, Texas to, uh, to start a new career in the marketing field. I started a new career in the WWE and didn't tell mm-hmm. anybody. Um, uh, so, but uh, when you see this video, you'll understand that I do in fact look a lot like him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's where that whole thing started. So <laughs> you'll hear a lot of those jokes on a lot of these podcasts.
3: Wow.
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna actually wear a wrestling hoodie for this. I have a, I have an Owen Hart hoodie. I was gonna wear, but uh, nice. I decided not to wear it.
2: <laughs>
1: oh, oh, the uh, I, could so I, I, I could go grab it. I could go grab it. It's it's very pink, and it's very bizarre. It's a very it's bizarre. <laughs>
0: well, we, we do usually take a break on the podcast about every half hour. So if you feel like changing into it on the break, I might, I
1: mean, might, encourage- I might get chilly in here. I might have to throw on my Owen Hart hoodie now. Oh, well then, well, then rock and roll. Say so rock and roll. Yeah. So mm-hmm.
2: so thank you so much again uh, for, for being on here. Um, uh, obviously, we do uh, um, typically what we do with a lot of the, uh, our podcasts with interviews. Uh, we try to take the step to an overall message, which is, you know, uh, what inspired you? How did this start? How did all this madness start? And then we get into more specific questions. But I hmm. usually always kick it off, and um, then Brandon has his list, um, uh, like like, a, like, an old, like an old gunsmith. He's waiting to to. <laughs> but um, I, I, but so for you, sir, you know, how did this adventure start for you in in filmmaking? You know, when did that touch your life? Um, and then and then obviously because we're a horror podcast, when did horror get into your life? And when did you decide, hey, you know what, I could do that. I, you know, um, I don't know if it was a movie or people in your life,
1: um uh, but uh but please, I'm very curious. Well, uh, would you said like when film touched my life or when I decided like, hey, I want to be a director? Cuz that's how, like two different points in my life. How about how about both? Uh when film touched my life, um Ghostbusters, um nice. you know, um Batman, the um well, Michael Keaton and uh Jack Nicholson, like I had those on VHS, and um I, I just remember being really, really young, really small. And just like I would play the film, I would watch Batman, and I would take it out, I would I would rewind it, start it right again, just eating cereal for like hours, just watching Batman over and over and over again, or just watching Ghostbusters over and over and over and over again. Um, you know, films like uh Jurassic Park films like um, The Last Dragon, Uh, you know, I grew up on like, you know, Terminator 2, like I grew up on like very big American films, you know, like I, I didn't get into, you know, the independent scene or all these other things until much later in my life, not until basically my 20s, you know, um, my first job ever was working at a movie theater. I used to work at uh I used to work the concession stand at this movie theater um in Long Island in Farmingdale and um, I got free popcorn and I could watch I think I got four free movie tickets every week, something like that, something crazy like that. Um but every but I used to also just like whenever it was my lunch break cuz we got half an hour lunch breaks cuz it's trash and it's you know minimum wage. So, whenever that would happen, I would, you know, go watch a movie. So, it would would take me like sometimes a month to finish watching a film because I would just like always come in like odd parts of the time. Like, I remember it took me like a month to finish Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake, the one that came out in like 2002, 2003. Yeah, right. 2003,
2: right? Yeah, we we call that the Dark
1: Times. Um, yeah uh, <laughs> yeah that one was, it took me like a month no to one finish watching the... that film yeah. I'm sorry what did you say I said that one was one of the better remakes that came out during
2: that whole portion of like let's remake all the great horror movies of the 80s yeah yeah
1: and no, it wasn't It wasn't that bad to me like I, I was like oh this is because I think I actually saw that before I saw the original Absolutely. yeah um, yeah um, but yeah uh, what else when a film touched my life. Oh, man. It's um, it's like it's always been a part of it, you know. Uh, but I never, I never really thought of myself. I never thought that that could be a career for me. Like, it never even crossed my mind. Like, it was something that was just, like, it was so grand and so big. Saying, like, I want to be a director. It's like saying, I want to be an astronaut. I want to, you know, like, that's how big it was to me. Because, you know, I would watch... Um, like behind the scenes of like music videos you guys remember that um mtv shows like making the video yeah, they, yeah I, I, I might be too old for you that might be too old for you guys i don't know <laughs> but they used to show like these behind the scenes um of like making of music videos and it used to be so big you know this is like ni- 1990s music videos so big like it was it was you know so the idea of like being a director or it wasn't, and then it didn't really cross my mind until um, I was in college and it, and I actually had a camera in my hand. You know, once I actually started doing it, um, I was like, oh, I kind of, I was like, oh, I kind of like this. You know, people were also receptive to it as well because um, I had this this college class where uh, it was like it was like a television production class. And for our midterm, we could either make a music video or a documentary. So I was like, well, I know a thousand rappers, so I'll, you know, go shoot a music video. Never shot a music video before. Um, Just pretty much pulling from what I've seen on TV over all these years, like just trying to mimic it. And um, I remember playing it in class. And like, everybody was like, kind of impressed by it. And I was like, oh, wow, that's, I was like, that's interesting. You know, like, I never really thought of myself as a director. I never, you know, thought like, yeah, when I grow up, I want to be a director. Um, so then, you know, I, I, I kind of just stayed with it, you know, from that point on, like, I was just like, well, let me shoot something else. Well, let me learn how to use Final Cut. Well, let me learn how to, it's like, well, how do I light things? Like, how do I get how do I get, make it look like what I see on TV? And then that once you say that, that just takes you down the rabbit hole. Once You say like, oh, I, want, I wonder how, you know, um, this TV show gets its lighting like this. You're, you're, you're going to be it's going to take you a few years, to, you know, to answer to answer that question, to like really get it down. And, um, yeah, from there, I just loved it because I loved I loved the challenge of it. I love the fact that it was brand new. I love the fact that I could use my brain. Um, I, I loved it. And even I even loved the way people started acting towards me once they found out that I was uh, a director. Like, I actually like the way people tr- uh, treated me on campus. It was like uh, it was like part of my identity. And um, I, I just thought it was like something really, really cool. You know, I was just like, oh, wow. Like I have something that I can like throw myself into and that I can evolve and I can grow with and it doesn't expire. Like, you know, I can stick with this forever. You know, if I make a great film at 60, then I made a great film at 60. You know, there's no like real expiration date on it. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of like how I started with uh with film um as far as horror whew, wow <laughs> um I'm trying to think like the my earliest memories of horror of course like nightmare on elm street um i remember being just terrified terrified because I, I was born in 86 so this is like you know nightmare on elm street i'm like right in the like crux of like it, it like really burgeoning and like being this thing in in mainstream society. So I, I had older brothers. So like I remember my older brother, he had like a Freddy Krueger doll. And he used to like kind of torture me with it. I was <laughs> like, oh, so like try to run away run away from him. He had this like little ugly Freddy Krueger doll. I hated it. Um, but like, you know, I remember like Tales from the Crypt, uh, that scaring the shit out of me as a kid. Um what else, um, I, I remember like Bordello of Blood, seeing that, that was really cool. Um, uh, Candyman, uh, um, I gotta go, I'm i trying to really go down my whole like list of like horror films that have like, actually like messed me up over the, over the years, like seeing them like way too early. I'm trying to think of like, um, I mean, is, is Alien technically horror? The you first one, you, out,
2: right? yeah. The, the first, the first one definitely is um, uh, the and there's been some debate. And actually, you'll never meet a bigger alien and or predator fan than Zach here. Um, no. uh, <laughs> and, and, and what is like it wasn't until you saw the 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 film print of it. I I saw a film print of it in a theater, and that's when I finally just decided to say, yeah, this is a horror movie. Yeah, like the first Alien is just a a masterpiece like if there you need to see it. if you ever get a chance to see it in a movie theater take it. it's such a just a beautiful experience like i i yeah, cannot recommend yeah. it anymore there's just some things that are just master classes intention and that is a master class right. intention right, yeah right, right The right. um yeah there's 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 no other things so so the the, the last question i have because i know i know brandon wants to wants to get in on the fun um and i know that the rest of the guys do but you know, when did you just you know uh, you know obviously being a fan of horror and making horror is a little is a little different. Most people who make horror movies are fans of horror movies, so I was curious. You know, when did you decide? You know what? Like, I want to make because it's a specific genre. It's a very it is a specific genre, and people make conscious choices to uh, uh, to make horror. You know, films. What when, when, when did you decide that was for you? Um,
1: you know, I started to like ease myself towards that direction. I feel even like um, artistically, I was like heading that way without even really knowing it. Like my my style of film, because I was still like kind of figuring out like who I am as far as like a writer director. So, you know, I looked at certain things that I was doing well. I was like, hmm, I was like, "I'm, I'm able to build tension I'm able to, like, build atmosphere. And I started seeing certain films where I was like, oh, wow, I really like the, this idea of, like, doing a horror film. Like, I saw Under the Skin um, in theaters. I saw uh, I saw The Witch. Um, and I saw, like, even, like, recently, I saw, like, It Chapter One. And I, I thought that was, like, it was, like, such a... I, it wasn't, like, super scary to me, per se, but... It was just, like, a really well-done... Like, it really, like, made Pennywise, like, come to life. Like, every single thing about him. Like, his personality. Uh, like, I love when he, like, gets out of the uh, the refrigerator. And he kind of, like, does, like, a skip towards the kid. I was like, that is so, like... It's so great. Like, it's... Because um, he's just, like, this weird, bizarre character. Uh, but as far as, like, me, um, I, I had... I had this idea of this um, artist who kind of evokes this evil spirit. So I was kind of playing with that for like a while. I was just like, I'm like, I'm like, hmm. I, like I had like the concept, but I didn't have a story yet. Um, but once I I came across the mythology of Robert Johnson, it's something that I I've always heard, but I would re-familiarize myself with it, and I felt like the the um, and and I also cross referenced it with the actual reality of his life to kind of flesh out uh, a more solid story. So I felt like the his mythology was perfect. Excuse me for a for a short film, and I felt like it was the the perfect way to tell it would be in a it would be in a horror genre because there ha- they have been odes to his mythology in other films. There's like a film called Crossroads. Uh, Old oh Brother, where art thou? As well, they tenacious, have
2: like... tenacious D and The Pick of Destiny. Exactly. A, you know, there's the a huge idea. reference reference to them and and rock and actually a lot of people. Um, uh, and, I've, and I'm a, a massive music fan. Um, yes. Massive music fan. And in my eyes, there's three people that are responsible for the creation of rock and roll. Period. And it's it's Elvis Presley, Chuck Berry, and Robert Johnson. There's no other mm-hmm. important. And actually, if I had to pick one of the three, that's the most important. It's Robert Johnson. Nobody yeah, recognized like- the, the guitar the, the way that that he did, and mm-hmm. I, and all the legends that are attached to him. A lot of people don't know; just they just don't know who he is, which is right. disappointing. I'm glad that you took that direction um, uh, to 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 share that story because a lot of people just they don't know they they don't know about the history of him. And 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 actually, if you go back and listen to some of those old songs, it's crazy to you know like the stuff mm-hmm. that he's doing. Like they, he did that in the 30s. Like, it's right. commonplace now, but he was doing that, that shit in the 30s, which is insane. Right,
1: right. And, you know, if you, he, he's kind of like the, um, uh, yeah, he's like the evolutionary point, you know? It's like, after him, it's uh, it's pretty much, we're, we're still living in his era. It's like, we're still living post-Robert Johnson. There has yet to really be somebody to come and really, like, you know, sh- shake up a genre or create a genre that way, you know? And all aspects, not just the music, but the culture as well, like how we speak about artists, like, um, yeah, everything, like even the, 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 the mystery surrounding him, the mystery surrounding how he got so good within a year's time, the mystery around his death, you know, there was mystery around where's his guitar now. So like all those things, like once I heard like, you know, like nobody knows what his guitar is, I was like, oh, that's perfect. That is perfect. I was like, nobody knows what his guitar is. I was like, this is, this is perfect. You know mythology right here. Um, yeah, I yeah, mean, it's
2: like, yeah, it's it's crazy. It's him and and James Dean's car. Like those mm-hmm. are the last like pieces of of folklore in American history that still had mystery attached to them. Um, right. You know, his guitar and James Dean's his car, which both disappeared. Have no idea where they're at. Um, uh, but that's crazy. That's a crazy reference that you made. That, that yes, you were absolutely one hundred percent correct. That there's there's nobody else that that shaped you know, folklore, like he did, um, and still right. hasn't yet today.
1: Yeah, because people still, there's still, uh, people still say these things about current artists. You know, like you see somebody super successful, they're like, oh, they they sold their soul to get there, or it's like they're in the Illuminati. Like, they, you know, these things come from, you know, Robert Johnson. This comes from a man who, in reality, you know, took a year's time to like really discipline himself. And really learn the craft, um, but it's like what he was doing during that time. It's like it's it's actually really, really interesting because like he would practice in graveyards because there was nobody else around. Like he's you know part of it was like embarrassment because you're you're trying to like really um, do it in isolation. But you know sometimes people would hear sounds coming from the graveyard, so it's like oh it's you know all these things kind Of added to his mystery, it's like, and he was a terror. People said that he was like pretty bad before he disappeared for a year, you know, it was to the point where people uh, would like boo him, you know, like they were like, Do not, like, do not put him on stage. I do not want to hear this man. Um, and he was so shy that like sometimes he would play with his back turned towards people. And I tried to add that in the movie as well, where um, when he plays for um. Oh my god! How am I missing the names of the artists in that film? Uh, Sylvia, yeah. So he makes her turn around before he plays for her because that was a common thing he would do. Like he would, like he didn't want people to to watch him play at times. Um, So yeah, I was trying to like incorporate all these like little tidbits from his mythology and like you know pack it into you know a short film.
2: Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely.
0: Right. Go, right. go ahead, you me, you man. Know, look like you're waiting for me. No,
2: right? I am. I am waiting um, for you because I know you got
0: questions. Yeah. So, so I remember when we spoke to you briefly at New Jersey, and I think you said this uh, when you accepted your award as well that the Dark Strums was your first outright horror project. Right. And you sent us a couple of your earlier shorts as well, and I was able mm-hmm. to watch them. And I watched them in reverse chronological order. So I watched Dark Strums first, oh, Tastes okay. Like Medicine, then voodoo and even going back to voodoo and also tastes like medicine um i do see influences of the horror genre in both of those uh Mm -hmm. so i'm glad you brought up that you looked at what you were doing well and -hmm. just kind of geared you towards horror because i totally saw i totally saw the stepping stones in your earlier work leading to the horror piece um But well, yeah, let's talk about let's talk a little bit about your two earlier works, and then we'll dive into uh, Dark a little more. Uh, okay. So the earliest piece that you sent us was the Voodoo, right. um, which um, on Vimeo it said it was posted on there five years ago. So I take it that's uh, probably earlier in your director's career. Were there any shorts before
1: that one that you had done, or is this your first uh, um, narrative? Yeah, that's my first. Narr- yeah, that's, yeah, that's my first narrative short ever. Um, before that, I was mostly just doing music videos. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was just like freelance, or, or just doing like freelance work. I've, I've done work for like publications and stuff. Um, just freelancing, trying to make ends meet. But uh, you know, I, I was like, you know what? I want to make a film. And I, and again, I don't know where this idea for this film came. It was just like, well, I just started writing and. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, uh, the voodoo, whatever. Um, And I was kind of, like, piecing things together. So, like, I I had met this burlesque dancer. Her name is Voodoo. Like, that's her stage name. Um, So, I like, once I encountered her, I was just like, oh, it would be interesting if there was, like, this, you know, um, succubus kind of... Creature that's, you know, just like snatching up men. Um, again, I didn't think of this as horror. I just thought of it like a weird artsy film, you know, because there's no, there's no like gore, there's no special effects. You know, th- this is my, my understanding of horror at the time. So I didn't really like place it in that. I so, saw uh, to me, it was more like me trying to do my best David Lynch impression, you know, like it was like that, that. to me. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my first first narrative short, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I uh,
0: really liked the experimental feel of it. It does feel like a David Lynch piece, how you mentioned it. Um, I really liked the, and I have this to say about your other two works as well, but I really liked the use of color in the voodoo, how it starts off just very faded, and you think that's what the movie's going to look like, and then once... The uh, burlesque dancer that you mentioned shows up. It's suddenly this vivid pink, and I just love the contrast and the use of Mm -hmm. color um, in the two um, area, uh, the two locations. Thank
3: you. So, Uh, what was uh, what was your inspiration for that? Like for the the style of voodoo? Because Brandon talked about how it started off very like saturated black and white, Mm -hmm. and then we have you know the full color of the voodoo woman coming in, which is which is awesome because it, it definitely influences and catches our eye and her dance is very seductive. So what was your like inspiration for that style for the film? Um,
1: I was I was trying to create this like, uh, I was trying to like create like this other world almost kind of like uh, a void in, in like space and time, like there's this like, this is just like her world right here. Like these colors and this brightness that only exist within her, once you're within her grasp, once you're within her reach. You know, this is like what it feels like to be with this succubus, you know, like this is how it's that vivid. It's that, it's like, it's warm yet extremely intense. At the same time, like, that's what I kind of wanted it to feel like. Um, and also, it's like, you know, I, I don't know, I just feel like the, the color pink, if it's, like, intense enough, it's kind of, it can be kind of frightening. I think so. You know, or at least I wanted to make pink violent. You know, I wanted, to, I wanted it to intimidate people when, once they saw it. I wanted the colors to hit them. I wanted the noise to hit them. I wanted her dancing, her the sound of like the wings um, fluttering, all these things. I wanted I wanted to communicate that as much as possible, you know, because that that's what I kind of envisioned this other world entity to have. You know, it's like something about it is beautiful, but it's also extremely intense. Yeah, I felt that
3: feeling when I was watching it and then like I got caught up. Because it, it happened, like, abruptly. So it had, we had the black and white, and then we shifted to the color. So, I, And then I felt that feeling. It was friggin' awesome. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs>
0: uh, Zach, do you have anything before we move on to the next one? Uh, yeah. For your uh, for the second
2: piece, why did you choose to go with black and white for the for that uh, picture? That was something I was kind of curious
1: about. For, for Taste Like Medicine? Taste Like Medicine, Tastes like medicine yes. I'm oh, why scared. did I? Oh, um again, doing my David Lynch in, in like impression, you know? I, I think I maybe had just saw a race ahead for the first time or something around that time. Um, and I just loved, I loved the contrast of, of, of black and white. I love the way it looks, I love the way it feels. Um, I wanted I wanted to kind of mute everything else and I just kind of wanted to roll people into like this false sense of security. With this black and white, because it kind of gives you um it, it's like there's like a certain rhythm, I feel like, to to black and white that I wanted to break in a different part of the film. I wanted to break the reality a different way through black and white. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of why I chose the black and white. And I yeah, I just, just I just love the way it looks aesthetically. I've always I've always loved black and white. Always. Oh.
2: Nice. Nice. Uh, Just real real quick though, just just while we're on the black and white topic and everything else, you know, obviously we are an educational podcast for young filmmakers out there. People who are, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in everything else. What's a piece of advice that you would have for, for any of these filmmakers that are coming up and they said, I want, I want to mess around with black and white with, with my film. You know, I I want to, I want to get involved in that. You know, I think, I think that this should be, you know, this piece should be black and white. You know, what are what's some advice that you have for those filmmakers um, uh, that want to turn their piece black and white?
1: I say do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. That's my advice. Do it, do it. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I still feel like it's, it's classic. It's like wearing a tuxedo, you know, it's like, you don't, somebody's like, I want to wear a tuxedo. It's like, go buy one. Yes, go. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> go wear a tuxedo.
2: You know, I, I think was, that's the best analogy I've heard all day. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's,
1: it's, it's very classic. Um, You know, I still, because I've thought about turning Taste Like Medicine into a feature. And I was like, if I do it, I'm probably going to do it in black and white. You know, like I saw, uh, like I, want, I haven't seen The Lighthouse yet, but I want to see it mainly because it's in black and white and I know like certain things are gonna look very, very cool, you know, in that format. I've you know, I've always liked it. Um yeah, I say go do it. Go do it. Um I would also but I would also suggest to plan ahead. Don't just like shoot it and then it's like uh maybe I should turn it into black and white because you could have like, you know you could have you could have prepped for black and white a little bit Bit more because you might wind up, you know, muting certain things that you don't want to. Okay. So I would I would just suggest just do your research beforehand, talk with your DP. You guys sit there and you plan it out how you want it to look, black and white, do some test shots. Um, yeah, really plan it out. Because if you're gonna make it black and white, like try to make it as, as beautiful as possible, as, as you know, as you should. And you shot Did you- that one digitally? Excuse me.
0: You shot uh, *Taste Like Medicine* uh, on digital cameras. Yeah, we shot that on Red Epic, uh, I believe. Um, yeah. Did you use a black and white profile, or did you shoot in color and then turn it black and white in post? Uh, sh- uh, we shot in color and then
1: turned it black and white in post.
0: Cool. So, yeah. did you have like have a black and white LUT on a monitor? So, like, how did you account for how it would look in the final black and
1: white image as you're on set? um ironically what i would do is I we would actually use a ton of color on set so you know there's actually like a lot of color gels mm-hmm. on it like if, if i showed you the like the the long version or not the long version but like um the original version of the film it's actually full of color but i use that as a way to kind of like show distinction between certain things like you know, the, the intensity of the colors, once you desaturate them, it still, like, it shapes the people within the frame a little bit differently. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like markers and guides as to how you want to do it. And because it, it's not just also one type of black and white, you know, there's like a whole spectrum of, of black and white. So I didn't want to just shoot through black and white because I didn't know what black and white we, wanted, we were going to do. You know, but I definitely wanted at least I wanted to shoot it as if it wasn't going to be black and white. Um, but I, like I like I knew it was going to be, but it was like um, like I, I put blues right here so I can so I can like, like separate the foreground from the background so I can see what I wanted to do as as things were happening. Nice. Cool. Very cool. Yes, and you said you had not seen the lighthouse yet. I have not, I've, I've been really bad when it comes to seeing films lately, like really, really, really bad. Uh, I, do uh, I have not seen The Lighthouse yet, I want to see it. I do recommend
0: it. I actually read an article about how they achieved the specific look of black and white that they got for it, because mm-hmm. they wanted to uh, replicate the look of the very earliest days of photography, back when okay. it would only take in the blue light and the green light, but no red light so therefore skin tones were very dark, Mm -hmm. skies were very dark as well, and what they did was they shot it on actual black and white film, Mm
1: -hmm. but of
0: course black and white film today is different than how it was back then, so they actually got Schneider to make a custom filter for them to take out the red light that they didn't want, Um, and they also used old lenses from the 30s and 40s and it's really amazing the amount of research and development that they put into creating that specific black and white look for it wow mm-hmm. that's, amazing.
3: that's yeah.
2: amazing yeah zach did you
0: have something from earlier
2: hmm? I saw you trying to jump in the no in the all right cool um,
0: <laughs> yeah i i really liked tastes like medicine I, I thought you really captured that feeling of awkwardness and frustration in the main character um how especially those scenes where like himself is like he's watching himself yelling Mm -hmm. at these people and being frustrated with them but also it brings the question of is that the real version of him or is it the one that's being passive is that the real one of him i I really (laughs) liked the feeling you created there um and the way that it ends, it actually reminded me a lot of the Coen Brothers movie Inside Lewin Davis, how that one, how that, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Uh, no. um, it's about a folk singer in the 1960s um, whose life just keeps spiraling. Just, he just makes bad decision after bad decision. And the way that it ends, like the ending is the same as the beginning, but mm. it's all chronological. So it creates this feeling that his life is just one cycle that repeats itself. And I thought, um, the ending of Taste like medicine had a very similar feel to that, that just,
1: it really stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, thank you. Um, that's what I really, I, I really wanted. You know, I, I didn't have this, like, uh, this anxiety behind like being caught in this, like uh, being caught in a vicious cycle where, um, I, where I don't have control where I'm just going through the emotions and things just kind of start all over again and I'm like wait wh- how long have I been doing this like you know it's it bleeds in it bleeds in like various facets of my life uh you know it can feel like that when you're at a job you know it's just like it's like how long have I been working here it's like four years it's like holy shit it's like that it's like that kind of feeling uh but yeah it's it's about this this guy who, he's kind of like, uh, he's limited in his emotions. So it's like when you, if you don't change anything, you're kind of like doomed to repeat yourself over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And it's kind of like a, a warning to, I know this is like a, a hot topic nowadays, but like toxic masculinity, it's kind of like a warning towards that because You know, you he's somebody, Drew is somebody that rarely takes blame for anything in his life. Like, he's somebody who kind of, like, spews and projects. And part of him knows that it's like, that's not not what you should be doing. That's why he's watching himself just completely lose his shit. And, you know, I felt like that before. You know, I felt like when I've, like, lost my temper, I felt like part of me is just like, you need to calm down. But I'm already... You know, I've already lost it. I'm over, I've already, like, you know, going crazy. And, you know, it was like, it was really, um, that film was, like, kind of cathartic for me a, a little bit. You know, it was, like, kind of, like, like, spewing out a demon, a part of me, like, from, like, my mid-early 20s that I that I didn't want anymore. You know, I, I didn't want to be somebody who lost their temper and lost control and, um, you know, was, yeah pretty much it like i just didn't want that part of my life it's not saying like that film parallels my life because it isn't i've never you know shown up to a baby shower drunk and cursed everybody Um, out but i was like
2: you know what i hope they serve beer in hell they uh (laughs) god that's that's fantastic
1: (laughs) yeah that's uh
2: you never read that book nope the book's fucking fantastic it's hilarious it's literally about a about a like a giant bro who refuses to grow up and he's the biggest douche in the world literally shows up on acid to a three year old's birthday party of one of his friends Um, and then like there's one scene like where he's uh, where he eats um, something horrible and he has a horrible like stomach thing and everything else and he's begging to god to um uh, to have it stop and he begs to all the gods and then finally he begs to de- the devil and the devil's like i'm not giving you shit you're already coming to hell why would i want to give you anything <laughs> it, the, um, uh, yeah no i get that i get that i get using art to to uh, to exercise demons um yeah. uh, it's it's good it's a good i mean there's countless artists throughout history who have done it it's it's, it's a it's a perfect idea um, uh, the, I have a lot of respect for people who um, uh, who do that and use that as an exercise. Um, I mean, that's what art is. It's subjective. It's mm-hmm. it should be something personal to you, even if it's not your life. You know, it doesn't have to mirror right. your life. it Doesn't have to be a uh, you know a biopic. But, um, yeah. but yeah, no, no, no I, I you know I have a lot of respect for you in that regard because a lot of people will make things that are superficial or things that people you know. Oh, I hope I think the general public will like this. Instead of uh, you know, instead of actually making something that's personal and means something to you, um, which I respect, which half the time it doesn't even work anyway when somebody makes something for the general consumption because most right. of the audiences are pretty smart and they can smell that bullshit from ten miles away. So that's right. it's pretty cool, man. It's that's cool that you were able to express something that you were feeling um, through a medium.
1: Thank you, thank you.
3: Did you uh produce your earlier pieces as well? I know we you produced the uh Dark Strums. Did mm-hmm. you produce uh the earlier pieces as
1: well? Yeah, I mean but when it when you say produce, like it wasn't like it wasn't like produce, like it was like <laughs> me and like, my friends. Oh like, was... <laughs> well,
3: yeah. Well, like, like what was like um process and like getting crew on board basically. Did you did you know yeah. did you know most of your crew? Um like mainly like the cinematographer and how was what was the process like working with with that cinematographer for each one of the films to okay. uh, create your vision.
1: Okay, so for the voodoo, I was a cinematographer. Um, I used to actually shoot everything. It wasn't until Taste I Met was the first time I ever worked with the DP. Um, everything else, I you know it was I shot, I color corrected, I did the editing, producing. Uh, casting, uh, craft services, everything, uh, when it came to the voodoo. Um, so funny thing about taste like medicine. So I was, I, I was like, all right, I'm going to make a, I was like, I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a fucking movie and I'm going to do it the right way. And, you know, I, I got with this, uh, this producer who I met, I actually met this producer, but I used to work at the sneaker store. So, I'm going to go off on a little tangent. So, um, like, years, years ago, like, after college, I got kicked off my parents' insurance, and I, like, was being terrible, like, drinking for a loco all the time, and I wound up, like, <laughs> chipping one of my teeth, one in my tooth, like right? It's, like, broke in my mouth, Oof. and I had to go, like, get, like, a, get an extraction, so I had to go get a shitty job. I couldn't get a job out of college. Um, so I wound up working at the sneaker store, super depressing, um, because I I actually remember somebody who showed up to my job once. I used to, I I used to shoot music videos and there was this one guy who was like kind of hanging around the set and he was like, he was like asking me questions and he was like interviewing me. And then, you know, I'm selling sneakers one day and this guy's like, Steven? Steven? And I was like, uh, what's up? He's like, hey man, what's <laughs> up? He's like, you remember ben me? Ben. I was at your music video like last year. He's like, yeah man, I moved out to LA. I'm like, you know, I've got these gigs. I'm doing those things. I'm just like, oh my goodness. I was like, what size do you want? I'm like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I hated, hated, hated working there. But uh, so one day this guy comes into the store and he has uh, like a camera bag. So I was like, I was like, hey, I was, I was selling him shoes. I'm like, hey, you know, I, uh, you know, I shoot as well. I was like, oh, do you shoot anything? He's like, yeah, I do something. I was like, yeah, you know, if you ever need somebody to like, you know, shoot anything for you, whatever. He's like, yeah, that's cool, man. He gives me his business card. And, you know, when people give you business cards, it could be like whatever. So, you know, I, I take his business card. I go home and I was going to email him to like send him some of my stuff. And I was like, let me. Someone told me to just Google this guy really quick. I googled him, googled him. He um he worked for like MTV, BET, VH1. Like he's he's been producing like a lot of big shows, a lot of live events, whatever. Um, so he's he was like super cool. His name is Ramon Bug. And, and you know, from that day he he wrote me a job recommendation. I was able to like, you know, get out of that job and like really start moving towards my towards my uh career. And um, for like a month, like a whole summer, I bugged him. I was like, can you please read my script? Can you please read my script? He was like, he was like all right, all right, I'm in Dallas right now. I was like, all right, please read my script. Just please read my script. Um, so he finally back to script. Like, he's like, you know, what? I actually like it. I was like, well, you know, would you produce it? So I just like, all right, I have a real producer. I was like, I'm gonna we'll get a real DP. So he he recommends this DP. Uh his name is Sean Peters. But he had he had done some feature work. He has he's also done like a lot of music videos. Uh I think his most most recently he's been doing stuff like HBO. So we were on deck to like, he was on deck to like work on my film. I'm super excited. We're planning out everything. I'm just like, I'm like, I want tilt shift lenses, I want anamorphic lenses, I want, you know, all this. All the all the pretentious things that you know a filmmaker could want, and maybe I think three or four days before we we're about to shoot, he falls down a flight of stairs. Oh. He falls down a flight of stairs, I'll, and he's just like, I can't, I can't shoot. he's like, like, I can't shoot your film. You know, I fell, I fell down the stairs, and I was like, holy shit! You know, I already, I already paid for insurance. I already, you know, booked these these places. And it's not like I could, you know, take these things back. It's like, this is a very, very micro-budget film. Um, so, you know, I used to smoke at that time. So, you know, after I, you know, finished smoking and uh, getting my my mind together, I was like, all right, you know what, I'm just going to go on YouTube. I'm just going to figure out how to, how to use a red cam. And we're going to just shoot this shit. I was like, we're just going to shoot it. Um, so yeah, I, I actually wound up reaching out to one of my friends, Oliver, who, who was the DP on the dark strums. Um, we, we had known each other for, for years. Um, and he, like, he's like, he's always been more technically sound than I was. Um, so I was just like, yo, can you just, can you just shoot? So he just jumped on last minute. We didn't really have time to plan anything. So we were kind of just like you know, feeling it out as, as we went along. Um, but yeah, like that, that Tastes Like Medicine was a, a crazy experience. The, the lead actor, Damien, the second day of our shoot, he shows up a little bit late and he's like, um, he's like, sorry, I'm late. He's like, I, I burned myself this morning while making breakfast. So I was like, oh, are you, are you okay? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. So he's walking around set and... I'm thinking he's in character. I'm thinking, cause he, I'm, he's walking around very intense. I'm, I'm thinking he's in, cause he's like, you know, this method actor, I'm thinking he's in character. So you can see like that whole day where he's, um, the whole baby shower scene, he's he's actually suffering from second degree burns that whole time. So I didn't know this, right? So after the after we wrapped the second day, he's like, all right, uh, I'm going to the emergency room. I was like, emergency room, I was like, What's, so he showed pictures later on that day. Like yeah, like his arm had like keloid up. Like it was like pretty, pretty intense. Um, yeah, taste like medicine was uh, like a Helen journey. It was, like, it was, it was crazy. Like trying to make that film.
2: <laughs> man, all, a- all act, all actors are crazy, man. Uh, no, he I'm, is.
1: I'm, he is absolutely the craziest.
2: The, um, <laughs> uh, the, uh, um, uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been acting since I was ten. And yeah. uh, and and I think I, I guess we're just wired differently. Like mm-hmm. I, I I don't I don't know I don't know how else to 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 describe it. You know I been I've been I mean I remember having like a sprained like a, an actual tendon sprained in both sides of my knee during a play, and wow. it was caused by lacing up steel toe boots um, uh, for a play I was in, and I would have to jump off the stage every night. And I did it And uh, night. um, and it tore up my knee for that. But I just, my mind just went somewhere else. Like I, I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm in this play. I'm acting in this play. We, I think most, I'd say ninety percent of actors live by the mantra of the show must go on. The right. um, I ain't give a shit about what's going on with me. Like the the rest of this, the rest of this stuff has to go on. And the show mm-hmm. has to go on, and we'll do all kinds of crazy stuff. The um, uh, so I, I, you know, a lot of people, you know, I, I'm laughing at that story because I'm laughing for a different. Most people are horrified. They're like, "Oh my God, he went through the whole thing." I'm like, no, nah, that's 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 what we do. We're we're crazy. Yeah. The, um, uh, you know, the joke I've always made was get two people, get two people together, and have mm-hmm. them both pretend to be different people and have them talk to each other. You know what you call that? We call that rec time at the local insane asylum. That's that's <laughs> recreational time for that.
1: Yeah, you,
2: you you put a camera in front of them, or you put an audience in front of them, and you charge people money to see it. Call that acting.
1: Right. Right.
2: So uh, so there's, there's not much th- there's there's not much you know space in between those realities. So right. so yeah, nothing about that story surprises me. Um yeah,
0: yeah. Get you the same ever again.
2: Oh, uh, I believe it. The. Uh, <laughs> uh, how the hell have you been
3: looking at this? Yeah, whole yeah, time? really. What if you?
2: <laughs> second date and are like? Yeah, like they're
3: confused now. They um, uh,
2: yeah, they're confused about your it. about you right now. I guess he's the only one who hasn't done any acting at all. Wait, have you done any acting yeah. at all? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah, if you've done any Terrible kind of, act. I recommend it to everybody. It's, it's a freeing activity. Um It's super fun, fun especially when you get to murder somebody on camera. The um, uh, <laughs> I, he's. He's That's done it to me. Um, <laughs> the, uh, have you? You know what? Just out of curiosity, have you ever uh, done any cameo? You know, I didn't really notice, but did you do any cameos in in the the films? Or did you ever want to do any Hitchcock
1: cameos? I did, I did in the Dark Strongs. <laughs> huh. That's, I'm so happy that nobody Dude, noticed that. I that did not. Weird. I don't remember. Yeah. Okay.
2: Are right, are right, right. are you going to tell us, or you're going to make us go back and look?
1: um actually <laughs> oh, oh. okay you know
2: what actually no don't tell hit. because we're live right now that way the audience will be like where
1: oh yeah, yeah no yes yeah. yeah. k- yeah, a secret so
2: I'm
1: in it I'm in it okay
2: yeah you're almost, very, oh, okay. Very brief Wait,
1: second.
2: you're almost as bad as him with uh, with post like there's in some of our episodes of living nightmares there's things that are still wrong with it and he refuses to tell us because we've never noticed. <laughs> the, um, uh, the um. Uh, maybe in a couple years, like when we're done with the series, he'll go back and say, yeah, this is what that is. But he, he refuses to tell us because he's like, you haven't noticed by now, you're never going to notice. Yeah. Are you one of the cars that drives by? No, no. Okay.
1: That's, <laughs> that, that would be hilarious. I was <laughs> going to say,
2: <laughs> that's kind of cheating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, are you I'm actually, like, are you physically in it, in it? Yep. Yep. Okay so you so it's not some weird I'm in it. I have I have a small piece of dialogue. And you have dialogue. Really? Yeah.
2: It's not Hitchcock. It's not a Hitchcock cameo where he's like just in the background. The um uh, That's a fun game to play by the way when you when you're watching Hitchcock movies. Like it's like it's like the like the film version of Where's Waldo. Yeah. Like you you'll catch it. Fun. Um uh, I Psycho um uh, when she's in the secretary office and then she's looking at the money. If you look in the window in the background, he yeah, walks and he walks right in front right in front of the mirror. Oh there's Hitchcock. The um he's in oh, he's in almost every every movie, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much
0: every movie, which i am gonna circle back to that in just a second, which I kind of feel bad now that I can't think of where you are. I think I know but wait, wait, I wait, wasn't wait, wait. looking for you either.
3: <laughs> True.
0: The what's it called
2: this therapist? That's it. That's me. Yeah. That, that's the only other thing. I'm just like, there's no other place he could possibly be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. That's me. That's, oh, that's me. Alice. Really yeah, like, uh... <laughs> which,
0: just to tackle the Hitchcock cameos real quick, you want to know what, what I think his two most creative ones are?
1: No, yeah, I want to hear
0: this. Rope, which just takes place in one room, and that's the movie mm-hmm. that he tried to make it look like it was all one shot. <sighs> Um, his cameo in that one is you know, the famous Alfred Hitchcock silhouette yeah. drawing? Yeah. There's a neon sign outside the window oh, my God. of that <laughs> silhouette drawing. Wow. And then and Lifeboat <laughs> just takes place on a single lifeboat in the ocean um, after a boat got destroyed. At the beginning of the movie, there are these bits of newspaper floating in the water. Mm -hmm. One of the pictures on one of those newspapers is a picture of
1: Hitchcock. (laughs) Wow! God, pictures don't count. That's 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 like elite. um, (laughs) Like putting yourself in the film, that's so like putting yourself on like a drifting piece of newspaper is next level. Yeah, Yeah. I. That's pretty crazy.
2: it's it's a level of, of of ego that is just it's it's almost mythic like. I will live forever. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. it's uh, you know I shall live in all of my films forever. Good that's luck cool. finding me, asshole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I <The great>
0: mythology, <laughs> like the Greek mythology, every like everything has like their one god or person that just embodies ego. Thousands of years from now when they're looking back at our culture, it's like an Alfred Hitchcock was the director of Ego. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's how it's gonna
2: be. Yeah, it is exactly how it's gonna be. The um uh the oh god. The uh He was something. He he's he certainly was something. Oh yeah. The um uh the uh Jimmy Stewart, go be in a movie again. <laughs> I was just in one last week. <laughs> he's, go do it again.
0: But, but yeah, that, that's actually a Really really interesting behind the scenes information about Taste Like Medicine. Um, unless you guys have anything about Voodoo or Taste Like Medicine, I mm, think. Not. So do we want to take a quick break before yeah. we really dive into Darkstrums? Yeah,
2: absolutely. We can take a break. Cool.
0: All
2: right. I'll okay. See you for a
0: break. Yeah. You want- a break. All right. So we're back from our break. Uh, we just talked about two of your earlier films, The Voodoo and Taste Like Medicine. Um but you're here to talk about the dark strums, so uh, yeah. yeah, we covered a lot of the inspiration with uh, Tommy Johnson earlier on in the podcast, which uh, is actually really interesting background. That I, Tommy Johnson is something that's like as you, you and Mark were talking about it, and I kind of looked him up a little bit on the break, and it's I've always kind of known about elements of him, but I've never actually known about him himself. Mm. Um, like you mentioned, uh, Oh Brother, We're Out Thou, we covered mm-hmm. him a little bit, and it was like, oh, okay, so so that's who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really interesting background for the Dark Strums. Um, before we get into, uh, some of our questions, do you want to tell our audience what the Dark Strums is
1: about? And about your sure. wardrobe change? Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, my wardrobe. This is, uh... Owen Hart hoodie with a third eye, you know, rest in peace to <laughs> Owen Hart, you know, he sees it all. Um, so yeah, the, the Dark Strums is about, um, well, like my logline is uh, a musician has been rumored to have sold their soul to the devil to learn how to play the guitar. Um, and, I, and I wrote it that way because it's kind of like, it is like a very old story, a very old myth that can be applicable in any day or time. You know, you swap out guitar with something else or, you know, music with something else for film or, or for whatever. Um, but yeah, it's about, uh, it's about the guitar of Robert Johnson uh, a blues musician who was rumored to have sold his soul to the devil. Um, and that guitar makes its way to present day, and somebody, uh, a, a struggling musician, she counters it, and it kind of uh, is like a Pandora's box kind of situation when she when she opens it. Or starts playing it, I should say.
0: Yeah, it's uh, one thing I really liked about it is it does start in Tommy Johnson's time, and then it cuts to present day and it's now that i said it out loud it's that's one thing i really like about all three pieces of your work that i watched is it starts out as you think it's going to be one thing and then it becomes something else Mm -hmm. and the transitions are always very even though they're very abrupt they feel very organic to the story which i think is Mm -hmm. a very balanced strike sometimes um so uh so we talked about the inspiration of the story. Um, tell us a little bit about the pre-production for the Dark Strums. I, I noticed that you mm-hmm. had, I mentioned you had the same DP for this as you had for um, Taste Like Medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd known him for a few years. Um, there, is, there are obviously some period costumes for the beginning of the Dark Strums. Right. Uh, so it's like what went into gathering the resources for what needed to be on the screen to bring this story to life? Oh,
1: wow, Um, so, where should I start? Maybe, should I start with wardrobe, maybe? Um, Sure, Sure. Sure. start Okay, so, um, I mean, wardrobe, so I I did the wardrobe. Um, So, I mean, the funny thing about Robert Johnson is that there isn't a ton of photos of him, there's like maybe three. And um, even if you, like I follow the hashtag Robert Johnson on Instagram to see like, uh, like what people, cause sometimes people make like fan work and fan artwork of Robert Johnson. It's usually of this three same pictures. You know, there's like one with him, um, he has like a hat on, he has a hat on, he has right a here. suit. Yeah, there's that one. He's yeah. holding a guitar. There's another one where he's smoking a, cig- a cigarette. That's the one that's uh, I, that's actually my um, avatar on uh, the Darkstrom's Instagram. There's that one. And I feel like there's another one where he's, like, standing with someone. So uh, I was just like, well, that's kind of what... <laughs> I guess that's what his uh, what he's going to have to wear. Um, so there's, like, a lot of things that... Um, when I was like trying to like build his aesthetic, you know, for one, I had to have an actor that kind of looked like him or that could at the very least like, you know, bring bring this kind of like presence, this uh, this mysterious presence, because, you know, there's no like I don't think it's like any like real interviews with him, at least that I haven't heard. Um, so it's, it's just like his music and what people have said about him. So you know, I needed somebody who looked the part of 1930s, and that could like also kind of merge um, somebody who could be extremely mysterious and kind of like have something behind their mask the whole time. Um, but yeah, as far as like his wardrobe, I got that off of I got that hat like off Amazon. Uh, just like look for her. I got hat on one of those hats on Amazon. For Sylvia, I I got her her dress and hat off of Etsy. Uh I, I did some research as to like 1930s um apparel. Um and you know, the the actress uh Kaylin, you know, she's she's like this gorgeous woman. Um so I, you know, try to find something that could kind of, like, compliment her a little bit. You know, I wanted her to kind of be, like, um, like, like you know, like, somebody who, like, definitely, like, stand out as, like, a very beautiful woman in the 1930s, but also at the same time come from very humble beginnings. So it was, like, trying to find... So we, like, leaned more into, like, physical... her physical beauty, like, make sure, like, her makeup was just, like, pristine, but also just, like, very simple... Um, maybe well, like which like uh, what a church girl in 1930s Mississippi might wear, you know, something that's extremely conservative, um, kind of free-flowing, but it's also also have to like account for the weather as well, you know, something that's kind of humid, uh you know loose flowing um and also the the color of like the brown, I, I like the three primary colors I try to use in this film were brown green and blue um so like it's like you see that like in the first scene you know you, you kind of see like the brown within the guitar the blue on Alma, like on her um and and what she's wearing and when they get to the ballroom scene there's like blue in the background um a lot of browns greens and things like that so um that's how I, I kind of like came to um for her design um and i and i got the guitar off of ebay now The now that isn't the guitar i used in the dark strums isn't what robert johnson used it was um oh man i think he i think he played a gibson if i'm not mistaken but it's I not sure. I actually i actually have that guitar like the, the dark strums guitar like right there um <laughs> in my living room um but it's yeah it's i i chose like the guitar i used in the film was more of like a stylistic choice to kind of like give it a a kind of like really vintage feel. Um, It's like, because I could have just used a Gibson, but I don't think like it would have been as visually striking to be like, oh, this is an evil guitar or this is a special guitar. You know, like that guitar has like a little, like uh, like little Paisley design on it as well. And, you know, I just wanted something that was kind of like eye catching as far as uh, the guitar is because it's it's a big part of of the film you know like when, yeah. when the guitar is slammed on the the counter at the um antique store and it's opened i kind of wanted people to be like oh that's a pretty cool guitar or it looks like a guitar that a that a blues musician would have played in the in the 1930s uh, it, it's not like historically accurate but you know this film is a historically accurate period <laughs> it's, uh, well, it's it's very much different story
0: <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, what'd you say? A, don't let facts get in the way of a good story.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm ripping off of history more than anything. I'm not like, you know, married to just like, oh, it has to be this Gibson from nineteen and it has to have like you know, 'cause it had the guitar had to look used as well. And like it had to look used, it had to look unique, it had to look rustic, it had to look, have all these things. So um yeah, put a lot of time into into that, into finding that. It took me about two months to find that guitar. Just you know, looking at stuff on eBay because it's, it's that it's got to work within budget, all those things. Um, let's see what else? What else? Um, okay, so as far as the the DP, my DP Oliver, um, he's he was also like producer on on the film as well. So we we had known each other for years. And we work maybe like, we both work in midtown Manhattan. So we work maybe about like 10 minutes away from each other at most, like walking distance Manhattan. So we would meet up and we would just talk about like, you know, we've we both been just doing our regular day-to-day jobs. We were just like, you know, we got to get back to filming. We have to get back to filming. We have to get back to filming. When are we going to shoot something? When are we going to shoot something? So, you know, I finally came up with something. I finally had something. And I was just like, yo, do you... Would you be interested in shooting this? You know, like, I had never, you know, done horror up until that point, but I knew what I wanted to do with the film, and I knew that he is somebody that is extremely technical, somebody who, you know, works with cameras all the time. And um, he was, like, really excited because, you know, he doesn't he doesn't really get the opportunity to, like, shoot things like that anymore. Like, like it, I think he does, like, a lot of, like, editorial stuff nowadays, but, you know... He kind of was like, Yeah, yeah, like yo, let's 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 do this. So we we like, you know, produced this together. You know, we went out, we shot part of this in um in Pennsylvania. We shot part of this in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Um, so like the the opening scene at the lake, that's in that's in Pennsylvania. Okay. Um so, but you know after we found like this perfect framing. I was just like, oh, this kind of looks like the
0: Mississippi River
1: kinda. <laughs> you know. Um, so we had to you know make Pennsylvania look like Mississippi. Um, and the ballroom scene also takes place in Jim Thorpe, uh, Pennsylvania. So we were able to get like a pretty good deal on that uh, on that ballroom. and um, yeah, so we sh- we shot that in, in Pennsylvania. so we drove we drove out there beforehand. We were taking pictures we were you know giving our permits we were you know doing what we needed to do to to get that film rolling um initially, we were supposed to shoot the whole film out there you know there's there's actually a lot that I wrote that did not make it into the film um like you know Elma was supposed to kill way more people like way more people um but you know budget so you know <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, she, was, she was supposed to, um, it was going to be like taste like medicine times 10 as far as like, you know, going off at a party. It was supposed to be, you know, bodies flying through the walls and all types of crazy stuff. But then I was just like, oh, maybe I don't have enough money for all of this stuff. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a, yeah, but there's, yeah, there's a lot that, you know went into this film for, for pre-production, um, even, it, even with the, all that being said, like it, it was still kind of hard to account for everything because you're still fighting time You're still like um, trying to get everything right. and it was my first time working with the crew that big as well. It wasn't like a super big crew, but it was the first time me directing a crew of that size, so it was you know I had the the challenge of like trying to navigate through all of that and working through different people's like pacing and how they normally work. Um, but yeah, we we spent a lot of time uh, trying to get that, trying to get the look of the film right. Cause I knew the story was there. Um, and even though, even as I was taking things out and just like throwing things out, like, oh, I guess I can't shoot that scene. Oh, I guess I can't shoot that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, all right, I, I very, at the very least, I know what I want to say with this film. I know what the fear is with this film. I know it's, um, you know, it's about you know the fear that uh, of the fear that comes with artistic integrity, the fear of like perception, the fear of you know me doing something um, that I can't take back just because I I I I want fame or I want I want to chase my dream so bad that I'm willing to like disregard everything along the way. So I knew that fear was there. I knew that was the centerpiece of the story. So even as you know, I, I, I didn't get to, you know, rip everybody through the walls and blood splatter all over the place like I wanted to, I was like, all right, I, I at the very least know that, you know, this is, it, it works as a story. Nice, yeah. nice, cool. very cool. So uh, well, while we're in
3: um, on the subject of, like, pre-production, uh, how did you go about casting for Dark Strums? Like what was your, your process? Did you go to backstage? Did they send you
1: auditions? I did. I, I did backstage. Um so I I did kind of like an open uh open call. Um and for like live for um her real name is is Olivia. For Elma, I actually I found Olivia beforehand. Because I was like, I was like, all right, so I need, you know, I need uh, a black woman with big natural hair that can play the guitar, who can play the blues, who can also act. I was like, I need all of these things, right? And I found her. It was like, I, if, you know, if I showed you the script for this film, it's almost like I described her to a T. And I was just like, holy shit, I was like, this is perfect. And she, <laughs> um... You know she she does like um, she does musicals and all that, those things, um, but she like she wrote all the all the well there's only like really one song in the film, but she wrote that she made that up right there on the spot. I was like, can you just like make something up? I was like, can you just do something? She was like, she was like, yeah, yeah. She was, and then she made you got me up all night long, and I was like, oh, that is so creepy. I really like that because it's like, you know, blue, it's bluesy, but at the same time, it's like, as I played it on the loop for the trailer, it's like, it feels kind of like this haunting that's kind of there. Like, you have me up all night long, I can't sleep, I can't do anything. Like, there's this, there's something watching me, kind of. Um, But she was, you know, perfect, like, dead on for it. Um, For Sylvia, um, which is Kayland, um, you know, she, when I, when I saw her and, and she was acting, like she, she was perfect because she's from Texas. And so she was able to kind of do the Southern accent without like having to overdo it. It was very, very natural to her. she, she also has like this, uh, playfulness to herself. Uh, so I was like, oh, she's perfect. But you know, she has, um, she has like really short hair, like a really short modern cut. And I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? And I was like, I'll just get her a wig. I was like, this is a movie. I'll just give her a wig. <laughs> it just never crossed my mind. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh, I'll just give her lo- love wig. I love it. This is
2: the movies, man. This <laughs> is
1: like, the I old, like, like, oh. yeah. I was like, so- oh, man, she has a short, modern haircut. What am I going to do? I was like, oh, just put a wig on her. Because it's a movie. It's, you know,
2: like. It's crazy. It reminds me. There's there's a uh, an interview with Russell Crowe talking about acting, and he's like, and he's like, just sometimes the most obvious choices are the, the are the best ones and everything else. Yeah. He's like, start making decisions when you get a part. You know, you, you play a fucking pirate, get yourself a wood leg and a and a parrot, and just go from yeah. there. Like, yeah, you'll figure it out eventually. Just you know, just start making decisions and everything else. I love stuff like that. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that's awesome.
3: It it, it reminds yeah, me of like very- something what my professor said. Um, when I was in film school. I was like, we're in the illusion business, all right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which all
1: pressure right? was that? Michael Wright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, um, um, yeah I was, it was, like, right in front of me. It was, like, so obvious. But I didn't buy it myself. I Like, I gave her the money. I was like, you pick that out, because I have no idea. I'm not going <laughs> to buy you a wig. And it looks crazy on camera, you know? So, you know, she... She invoiced me and I uh, paid for the wig um and she she is she was amazing um uh, who else do I who else was in the film uh so he had a birthday boy I actually had to change that actor last minute because we had had this other guy that was he was like he he was kind of giving me weird vibes after the audition he was kind of like well you know maybe I can make it maybe not you know <laughs> I was like, okay, cool, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Maybe I can make um, it, maybe I won't. Who like, knows? Just, yeah, was, I'm like, I'm like, alright, whatever, dude. with
2: um, like the but, shadiest but, insurance salesman ever. You know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> maybe like, your
2: have some burn down, maybe it won't, you know, you might want to pay for this. I don't know. Yeah,
1: it, it was very like, eh. But, so I wasn't, so I was like, alright, I'm gonna probably have to recast this part anyway, so I and I did. I ha- had to recast it. Um, so, yeah, I found this guy, uh, John Coulter. John Coulter. Uh, he actually lived, like, in the Pennsylvania area, which was, like, perfect. So uh, he sent over, like, some auditions. Uh, and he had, like, this... He's, like, this really big guy, which is, like, kind of, like... You know, kind of like a teddy bear kind of vibe. And it was, like, you know, that would be super sad to see him go. that's what i was thinking i was like if you know we we show him on screen you know what what happens to him i was like it's going to be it's going to hit people in a different way because like you said like my style like i do things abruptly but i wanted to like also kind of feel like we've been kind of leading up to this point anyway like once it happens it's not a break from reality it's more shocking than anything uh so that that goes to everything that that was in that was in the frame, like where they are, the lighting, who the people are seeing on on camera, because they they only have a few seconds to connect with these characters before they're gone. Otherwise, you know, when when you know people start dying, um, it's just, it could just be like, eh. like, oh yeah, that person just died. Whatever, <laughs> you know. I want people to be like, oh shit, oh oh oh, like what is this? Why is this happening? Um, and and the last was um, the, the antique store worker. Um, I actually work with him. And he's, uh, like, like he, he's, uh, that's, that's my friend Lee. And he's, uh, he's just, like, a, normally, like, a very uh, funny person. And I was like, that, that can, like, give, like, a different rhythm or it can break the monotony of the film a little bit. Like, kind of, you know, uh, give it, like, a different kind of rhythm and different kind of pace as well. He, he really brought that to the film.
0: Nice, nice, very cool. Um, there are also a couple of VFX shots in the movie as well, particularly with the uh, eyes going black as the guitar mm-hmm. is being played. Um, mm-hmm. Was there any kind of prep that needed to be done for that? And then there's another shot that Zach and I wanted to ask you about when at the um, the birthday party that nobody showed up to when he mm-hmm. finally, you know, mm-hmm. that reflection shot. Was that an actual reflection
1: or is that a vfx shot as well that was a vfx shot okay, so right. um the way so yeah the um uh, what's the name of our vfx artist i think his name is Sean welch i believe he's uh, I, I found him cuz he he did like another horror short that was like kind of went viral uh, i think it was called like the ringing or something. it was it's a short film about um like, this guy keeps hearing, like, this ringing noise. Mm-hmm. And then, like, this monster shows up. Uh, whatever. He did, like, this crazy VFX for, like, this woman's face. Like, it's, like, the huge, like, gory fangs or whatever. So he was, like, kind of familiar with, like, doing, like, you know, horror stuff. So uh, I consulted with him beforehand. And he told us, like, uh, all right, so this is how... Because I, I I'd never really done VFX like that before. So I was like, all right, so how do I have to shoot this so that you know, you have the right things to piece it together. So like the, um, so like the chandelier shot, we, first we film the chandelier. So we get like super close up on the chandelier. We film the chandelier first, and then you turn the camera around and you film from the POV of the chandelier. And then you take that image and you wrap it around the chandelier. So that's how we were able to like get that shot. Um, yeah.
0: Because it did look, it, it looks like a reflection, but mm-hmm. I was thinking, no, I know how those reflect. If that was real, it'd look all like messy and mm-hmm. not clear. So it's, yeah, you, you can tell me you did one hell of a job on that one.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I had, I had no, like I knew what I wanted it to look like um, because I also wanted it to, that scene to be as tasteful as possible, like as tasteful and shocking as possible. Um, and also cool. I wanted it to be like a, a cool shot. You know, yeah. like that's the one shot that everybody keeps talking about uh, when they talk about the film. Uh, I feel like that's what kind of won us the Best Cinematography Award. was like, you know, it, like it was a lot of things but I feel like that, you know, shot is what, because the people are always like well, how did you do that? You know, because yeah. Um, and the, as far as the other VFX shots, like, there's like maybe three or four, like the, the other one is like really super subtle when, uh, the is on the ground and the blood is like, I made sure the blood runs just like very slightly, just like give it some sort of like motion. And of course, like the eyes blacking out. Um, I think that was pretty simple. Like we just shot that straight forward and he, he just fixed that All right. post. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Um, and speaking of good shots, I really love the look of the opening scene at the Mississippi River. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, a lot of times, like, when you're shooting day exteriors, depending on the time of day and everything, the shots can look extremely contrasty. Like, you might have a blown-out sky, or you might mm-hmm. have an actor just completely in shadows. But everything mm-hmm. just looked like it was – everything just looked balanced and peaceful. It looked like it would be at the Mississippi River um and it doesn't have that extreme contrast that would inform you at that that would inform you at first that this is going to be a horror film so it really mm-hmm. does feel feeling of anything can happen um so how was the look of those outdoor shots um created did you have any additional lighting on hand or was that just oh, yeah. how it was
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh no no there's, there's, there's definitely uh additional lighting um uh, it it was I mean, yeah, shooting outdoors is ridiculous. It's uh, very ridiculous, oh, uh, especially yeah. when you're running behind schedule. And that's, and that, um, because we shot that, we got super lucky with, with um, that scene because it had rained, it was like raining wet and cold the day before. We shot that in October in Pennsylvania. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, so we got like the the movie gods blessed us the next day because I was because woke up it was like it's, it's 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 like in a mountain town so it was like super muggy there was like fog everywhere when I woke up I was like shit I was like this is not like Mississippi at all <laughs> um, but you know this the sky cleared up Um and it was actually like pretty warm it was like pretty warm that day so they were able to like you know. Put their feet in the like. Some of the crew would actually like jumped in the water to like get certain shots as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, like they they took their shoes off, they rolled their pants off, they got into they got into the water. Um, so it was like we got super super lucky with that. But um, yeah, there was definitely definitely additional lighting because um, we started losing daylight fast, and because like we're in the mountains, like the the light like the lighting change the the lighting like changes in the different ways you know like once the sun went behind the mountain like it created like this really huge cast so we had to like you know readjust for that and then the sun would you know come back out it's like oh shit now it's like too hot now we have to like bring everything back down um, but yeah it took it took us a, a little while we definitely ran out of daylight we we absolutely ran out of it um, the the scene where her eyes actually go black, like that's right before the sun, like was like gone. Like the sun was like practically gone at that point. So um, yeah. So was that last shot of the day? No, we pushed it to like another shot that didn't make it to the film because it just it didn't match anything else. So yeah. I had to like had to like cut that because there's there's supposed to be a scene where when Robert walks away, he so we're, it was he's supposed to uh, encounter the entity out in the woods. That's what's supposed to happen. But we ran out of daylight. So I had to like switch things around to kind of imply that like as he's gone, this thing is like ha- happening in the atmosphere. So when he arrives back, it's, it's supposed to be like, all right, you know, it's supposed to be implied that uh, he's, he encountered it and is telling him to like bring, bring Sylvia with him. Hmm.
0: Uh, and what kind of lighting package do you have on that day of filming? Because as you said, filming outdoors, especially when you're in a very um, nature-heavy area like mm-hmm. a river in the woods, it's, of course, power concerns are a major issue yeah. for a lot of filmmakers. So um, so what kind of lighting and power package do you have
1: to uh, make sure um, you had it needed? I know, w- I, if I had, if I had Oliver packs, here, yeah. we could like he could break it down to you better, better than I could. But, you know, we had, we had a few generators. We, um, yeah, we definitely had to like drive, like we had to drive into the woods. Um, we had smoke machines. We had a bunch of stuff, you know, even a park ranger came over to us at one point. Cause you know, we were using the smoke machine. He was like, Hey, what the hell are you guys doing? Uh, but we <laughs> had, a, we had a permit and everything. So we were, we were fine. But, um, I mean, I, yeah, I, I wish I could uh, tell you guys exactly what we had. Um, if I, will ask Oliver and I'll uh, email it to you guys. Or something.
0: All right, cool. <laughs> Thank you. i appreciate it. Yeah, yeah.
1: then appreciate it. So, um, and also, too well round production.
2: I, I, I always can't resist asking these this question. Um, obviously, you, you told about you know making the music on the fly and the crew jumping in in the water. But um, uh, what are, uh, do you have? Any other crazy, fun stories? I'm always a big fan of production stories um uh of some fun stuff that happened or some crazy stuff that happened or something that you know that that you uh you know caught you off guard i always love hearing those stories i know they do too um uh, okay. so.
1: um yeah so all right so the first day um so we drive so we, we go from uh like lower manhattan to, to pennsylvania we, we're driving out there so i rented two airbnbs so one for the cast, one for the crew. Um, so we go to drop off the cast first at their Airbnb. So it's like this, like uh, it's like this big house has like a pool table, all this other stuff. So we go to drop them off, but it's like it's pitch black out there. Um, so we pull up. I'm calling the guy for the Airbnb to like give us the the code to like get inside. So it's taking him a while. We finally get the crew in and everything, settle everybody in. Um, but as we pulled in, we didn't like see the driveway, so we just kind of like pulled into the front of the house. We didn't know that like the ground was like wet. It had like sunken. It was like sunk. It was like mud there. So we go to pull off, and we cannot move. Like the car is stuck in the mud in front of that house. Now the other Airbnb is maybe like a mile away, um, and we just we're just stuck there now. Um, and we had to call AAA in the morning so we had so we wou- actually wound up everybody staying in one house except for Oliver and a sound man they had to gone to the other house because they drove separately they drove with like the camera equipment So we were so I was just like holy shit like um I can't drive to the set in the morning because we're stuck in the mud so you know luckily, uh, AAA came um, in the morning and they were able to pull us out um so yeah at first we uh, we were stuck in the mud uh, literally <laughs> um what, what else happened um oh yeah so uh, there there's this um there's this woman who worked at the um at the place where we shot the ballroom scene um is she like? Out of nowhere just started like helping out on set like she was just she was just like extremely helpful um didn't pay her extra or anything she was just like just jumped in and got you know dirty with us and she rigged these this um this huge black sheet across these windows to like block out the daylight because we we had to make it seem like it was nighttime so we had to block out the, the, the these huge windows and she rigged it with a spoon and a piece of yarn She's like this huge black backdrop. She just rigged it by herself. I was just like blown away by that. Like, (laughs) like, she she was just like way more manly than I ever was. Like, she's just like, (laughs) like, yeah, I can just like, I can just rig anything. But the spoon, she got really MacGyver with it. And her son was there helping on set. Like, he did the he did the clapboards and all that stuff. Like, he was uh, he was super. His name is Mikey. He was super helpful. Um. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's like as far as like anything bizarre. But once I, I that car got stuck in the mud, I was like, of course, of course, <laughs> of course, of course, yeah, of course. It always way.
2: has to be something. Oh yeah, of course. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, we got we got plenty of stories of you know of weather of being kicked out of locations and then finding mm-hmm. other locations and uh, God, so so many so many things. Having to tow somebody was fun. Um, we had to toast somebody out of our workspace one time. Wow. Um, yeah, the, uh, it, you know what, it was one of those things that like, it, it, if they didn't, if they were a little bit off, we would have figured it out, but they were right in our space. Like half where wow. we were shooting. Uh, I'm sorry. Why? Why were they there? Uh, so, uh, so essentially, uh, the second episode of living nightmares, we, um, uh, we were shooting on a, on a street and, um. We had reserved several places for parking um, on on the side. And filming. And filming. We, we actually figured out that the whole thing is supposed to take place while a character is sitting in the left lane. And we figured out, oh, wait a minute. We could just mock it. Like, it's a lot easier just to have this car parked. And we'll mock the whole thing as if
0: he's still in the left turn lane. Mm-hmm. So when we got there, there was a there was a car dead dead center. The city put up signs for us and everything saying you can't park here from this time to this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like there was no warning or no sign or anything. So we got there, and we actually got there about. Fifteen minutes after our time started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fifteen minutes after um, afterward, and we got there, and there was a car parked right in the middle of the area we needed to be in to make it look like he was still in the left lane cuz like if we had shot it anywhere else you'd be able to see out the window no that's you he's not parked in front of a street light Good. he's actually parked he's
2: actually parked wherever the hell he so wanted to be so we
0: needed it to be at that exact spot and of course that's where he was parked at so this one here called the uh tow truck
2: the yeah, that's why it's called that's why I tell everybody to have an on-set producer, yeah. so they can do all the, all the. you know, I remember our, our, our makeup artist, Antonisha, was, was like, oh, my God, Mark, I want you on my set, because I would never have the heart to actually toast somebody. I was like, <laughs> good. I was like, he's like, yeah, I'll be the token asshole of the group. The I token am, asshole. I will have no group. problem being that guy. That, you know what? That dude had a bunch of time. Not to mention, too, we were sitting there for like an hour and a half waiting for Chicago, you know, uh, sewage and recreation or whatever the department that handles.
0: It was really only like a half hour for them to get there. Oh, yeah. it, um, was it was
2: 45 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Oh, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely 45 minutes But the to
0: actual me. towing took some time too because the guy, like, like didn't the guy do something to his car to make it difficult to tow or something? Yep.
2: I don't know what it was, I but she was, was just but... like, what the hell is wrong with this damn thing? I mean, yeah, just, like, just car. of my shot. <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. Like, we were starting to think it was actual sabotage like for a while. Um, he jeepers know, creepers his uh, car.
1: I'm sorry. He jeepers creepers his uh car. He like oh, put a Oh, yes, so look
2: at it! Look at that respect on the reference sir. Yeah. The, um, uh, minus the murder. Yeah, minus the murder. That <laughs> yeah, we we know of. I mean, the car was. We the, don't know the guy. We don't know. You know, and it actually, it was kind of a creepy older car too. I gotta admit. It, is, it, you know, it, it would. It's like the gremlin version of his death bus. Look, Next from G. Mark sure. just have to on you so we could shove it in the tailpipe and just let it go. Boom. Yeah, it will. <laughs> I don't even think that would have moved it. Um, uh, <laughs> it would have moved it far enough away for us to get the job done. And they were right in the middle of our crafty space too, man. Like not only that, they're right <laughs> in the middle of the crafty space. And uh, we have a saying here at, at Midwest and everything else: fuck up everything, but don't fuck up crafty. True. The, true. uh... Uh, the uh, so yeah they so yeah we've had our fair share of fun so um, the one the, the question too I was gonna I was gonna ask too is did you um, did you get any any surprises out of your actors uh, when you were actually filming besides the obviously the, the 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 improvisation of making that music on the spot were there any were there like scenes where the actors really took you by surprise and you went holy shit I, I didn't even think about doing that or I didn't even you know, I I never thought about doing it that way, but that's awesome. Uh
1: well yeah. Uh, well actually I guess it kind of ties back into like the funny things that happened. So um you know, the opening scene where uh Robin and Sylvia are passing the flask back and forth between each other. I didn't know, but you know, Damien put like real booze in the flask. <laughs> nice. You know, so I didn't I didn't know that because there's there's one point where um with Kalen after like she takes a swig like it's in the film like she takes a swig and she's like ugh and but that's because she didn't know either like she didn't know that there was like you know actual whiskey in the flask so the whole time like he's like you know he's really smoking these cigarettes he's like no I have to roll a cigarette every single time so like the cigarettes are going out he's like. He's going through like, you know, five or six rolled hand rolled cigarettes. He's like really drinking. He's like really, really and I told him, I was like, you know, you don't have to do that. He's like, no, no, no. <laughs> he's like, no, I want to do this. Um, but yeah, I because when we were like packing everything up, uh, he was like, he's he's passing the flask around to the crew. I was like, I was like, why are you passing this around? He he really had uh really had some whiskey in there. So that was uh, that definitely caught me off guard.
2: <laughs> nice, that's nice. very very cool. Yeah. The uh, very cool. Go ahead. Man. It's
0: like a Edward Norton Birdman. Birdman. Um, have, have you ever seen Birdman? Oh, I love Birdman. Yeah, it's the scene where Edward Norton's uh, freaking out on stage because they replaced his whiskey with apple juice on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh,
2: the um, they actually did that to uh, Michael J. Fox on Back to the Future. When he's in the in the car with his mom and she has the flask. Um yeah. uh, and he, does, and he does the spit take. Um uh, the crew actually replaced his um uh, uh the the water or whatever was in there with actual booze and he had no idea what <laughs> wow. he was going the spit take. It was actually a really funny outtake of him um doing that. You can hear the <laughs> whole crew laugh behind the camera. He's
0: like Thanks guys. I'm that up now. Yeah. I did not know that. Yep, yeah,
2: that, that, that uh, that's a fun, uh, fun outtake.
0: Um oh. But yeah, uh, so another thing I I really liked about the structure of The Dark Strums is how a lot of it is told in a lot of static shots. You let the characters unfold the story. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen a lot of short films that just try to go like really crazy with the camera movements. But the camera in your short um, really just let the characters be the story. And I thought Mm -hmm. that took a lot of confidence to do that. And that's something that I don't see. And I I see it, but I don't see it as much as the whole, we need to show off that we can use a camera type of short. Um,
2: Look how awesome we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah, So it's like, were were there any kind of conversations you had with your DP during pre-production about how you wanted the shots to be structured? Um, Yeah it didn't look like you just decided the day of oh but the camera here and it's there was a structure to the scenes there are definite compositions that had to be thought out um so what kind of conversations did you have with your dp
1: um well i know like well i knew like uh, certain parts of the film like i wanted to like mislead people a little bit, so like as the film started out, I wanted it to be visually romantic. I wanted it to give this kind of feel of like, oh, I'm look, I'm just like watching two people be very romantic and, and lovey-dovey with each other. Um, so I shot, I wanted to shoot it like that, you know, there's like, um, you know, showing them like in, within like a very close, intimate space within each other The the very romantic lighting that's hitting them at the same time, Um, and like once I got to like the ballroom scene, for instance, I wanted it to feel as lonely as possible. You know, that's what I really wanted because like there's the one part uh, in this scene where uh, Elma is like, "Well, you know, it's your birthday," and I cut to the room being extremely empty, you know, I wanted, I kind of wanted to contrast or not contrast, like complement the dialogue with what people were seeing visually. Mm. Um, yeah. Cause I, cause on paper it's, it's supposed to be like, you know, I'll play for your birthday, but it's like, what people are seeing is just like this really big, open, empty space that's, you know, it's, that's how you get people to feel bad for them. In in that exact moment. So I knew what the intention of uh, each scene was supposed to be. So I kind of like shaped it around that. I wanted it to, I wanted this part to, for people to feel lonely and sad up until they get shocked. I want people to feel like they were watching a love movie until they're shocked, you know? And then after that's out of the way, like once we got to like the final scene, um, like when it came to the, the leveling, like the eye level of like, Ella being on that platform and the antique worker being down here. Like, I wanted her to, like, kind of stand over him as she's playing. I wanted kind of her to, like, look down upon him as she's, like, you know, playing her music. Because this is her way of, like, her giving the middle finger to everybody who's ever doubted her. To people who are saying to give up on your dreams to go do something else. This is kind of like her middle finger just, like walking down and looking looking down on him as he like you know as she pretty much kills him nice
2: that's very cool too
0: um and then what was their post-production
1: process like for this short oh um so i wound up doing the majority of the editing um which I would not recommend to any filmmaker. Do not edit your own films. You will hate your film. It is too very... late.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you saw like like uh, like three people turn their heads yeah. to this selection. The um, uh, you know, I, I I'm very interested to hear you two talk about that about you guys editing your own stuff. I'll let him finish first. The, uh,
1: <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, it's um because I like, what I what I did first was I just kind of laid the story out. I was just like, all right, let me like I know what the story is, so let me just put all that down on the timeline and play that through. And I was like, ugh, this is not good, um <laughs> because it was just like there was it, was it was I like I had I was trying to like. There's like a process between taking what you shot and like what you wrote and you have to like find a balance in between them, you know, because it might be you have to like cut certain things that like once that piece is gone, you have to like reshape the puzzle kind of uh, because that's what editing is. It's just like this really big puzzle. Um, And I because there's I'm just looking at things like, oh, man, I wish I would have got this shot. I wish I would have taken my time with this because I see all the faults, you know, I see every single thing that's that's wrong with it. So I have to kind of like push that to the side and just like, you know, not let that get me down and just like focus on the story. So I did like uh, I did like maybe five different drafts of the film, like, yeah, like like five different ones at first that still had like the proxies in there and they still did it have like any VFX shots or anything. The audio wasn't mixed, just me like trying to like make it feel smooth, make it feel like a film. You know, that's that, I was just trying to like smooth that out for like um, maybe like three, four months, you know, just working on that like every day, like maybe take like two or three days break, but like, you know, going back and like really trying to find things that so that it felt as cohesive as possible. Cause it's not only like making sure like certain shots line up, but it's also like getting the story correct as well. Um, so that took me a, a bit to get that down. Um, so after I got, so what was what was next? I think I sent out the clips for like VFX next. Um, and then I had to get a colorist as well so um so the colorist actually wound up being the assistant editor on the film as well um because he kind of he actually helped me fix like a big problem i had with the film because there is there was um there was like a certain sequence that i didn't i wasn't 100 sold on but i was just kind of like well you know i shot it i don't know what the hell else to do i was just like ah so for somebody else to come in and just be like well, you know, actually, what if you change it like this? And I was just like, oh, shit, this is actually perfect. Like, I I was actually able to, like, get over a certain hump that I had. Um, Because at first when he... Actually, what he did at first was he took my film... I gave it to him to color correct. He just made a completely different cut of the film. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? I was like, what did... I was like, (laughs) did you just cut my film? Um, But it was so jarring. Um... I was just like, well, what did you do? And then, like, most of it, I was just like, no, 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 you, you don't do that. But it was that one thing that he fixed that I was just like, oh, God, like, that's actually perfect. Like, yes, yes. Uh, so he came on as assistant editor for the film. He also did the color correction, um, sent out the audio next. You know, it's a pretty pretty straightforward process. Um, but, yeah, I I do not recommend... I I would recommend like getting final cut on the film, like you saying like that's what I want. But I like sitting down and like actually stitching your film together. Like it is rough.
2: It's, there's a great uh, director quote called. Uh, he said, "I don't have, do not remember what director said this. He says you'll never be as excited seeing your first dailies, and you'll never be as devastated as seeing your first rough cut."
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like wow, I wasted a bunch of time. It's like, wow, I just, like, what did I do? It's like, what did I do? Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty rough watching watching your film, um, especially because you just know what you wanted to get accomplished, and then you're just watching it. Um, and it's, like, it's even hard to, like, give it to people to, like, to trust other people's opinions at times, you know, because you, you might get somebody who just might not get the film. But like, hey, do you like it? They're like, oh, well, you know. Or you might get somebody who's like, oh, I love this. But their opinion is, like, their taste in film is just, like, whatever as well. So, you don't, like, you don't really know. Like, it's the hardest part about, you know, doing the edit is, like, hitting export. Like, it's like, oh, this is my film. It's like, I'm <laughs> taking this out of premiere. Like, this is what I'm going to compress it. I'm going to do all these things. It's just like, Ugh but yeah like once, like once you get to that point uh like i feel like that's that's like the hardest because everything else is like i could i know honestly i could still be editing that film you know i had to i had to reach a point where i was just like all right i'm done i'm done this is it this is it because otherwise i could just be caught in the cycle of just like well you know move this no move this no do this no actually can you like uh you know make the trees a little bit more greener just like a little bit more green because i was getting to that point i was just like uh, i was like uh, can you make the browns a little bit more saturated and then i was just like all right i need to stop
2: and just yeah but, and by the way do not feel bad i mean you know the two biggest examples i always when people when directors talk about this is is scorsese scorsese was in the premiere uh, of Goodfellas sitting next to Nick Pelleggi, and he turned to him on a couple occasions and said, hey, do you think we can edit this a little bit? <laughs> Nick's like, we're at the premiere of <laughs> <laughs> <It's> our <over.
0: laughs> Oh, my. Yeah, well, I, I, there are... Kubrick has re-edited his films after release. Like, there's a whole different ending to The Shining oh, that isn't on any release anymore that takes place after Shelley Duvall and Danny escaped. Okay, oh, Um, Which oh, Kubrick really? decided, no, I don't like this ending. I'm going to take it out. <laughs> and then... Um, I feel like he also might have made some other cuts, 2001 Space Odyssey, after that one premiered. Um, but then one of the big ones... Um, is actually, and this wasn't a Kubrick movie, this was uh, another director's movie, uh, The The Exorcist 2 was re-edited after, not uh, not just after the premiere, but after the actual wide release, it was re-edited twice. Like, they actually yes. sent editors to movie theaters to remove scenes from the prints. The, uh, uh, so it's not unheard of oh. to edit ever- a movie. There's another
1: film that, uh, oh, what's the name of this film? Is it called The Descent? It was about these women who, like, uh, they yeah, go the into cave like, this divers. cave. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. like, two different endings. The one that I saw was when uh, she's, like, it ends with her down there in the cave. Just yeah. kind of, like, going <laughs> mad and insane. That's the one that I saw. I didn't know that there was another ending to it where she actually gets out.
0: Yeah. So what happened with that was so the ending you saw is actually the original ending. That's what was released over in Europe mm-hmm. uh, back in 2005. Then it was then when it was released here in the United States theatrically. Um, for some reason, they removed that last minute. So it's like she gets out, and of course, it's when she's in her car, and then she she's like on her steering wheel. When she comes up, the ghost of her friend is right there, and she screams. And the real ending, that's when it cuts back to the cave. Over here in the States, it just cuts to the credits. Um, and then they restored that ending for the DVD and Blu-ray release. And I have no idea why they removed that last minute from the North American theatrical release. Just like, So they could
2: get a part two? Yeah. Yeah, 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 That that, that there's, there's there's there's. I'm truth pretty that. sure
0: that's uh, that happened. I mean, I mean, yeah. Which how many years was part two released after that? I don't oh, think it was that many years. I did not even
2: know they did a part two. Yeah, um, yeah. I, the uh, I, fair enough. Um, <laughs> I, the...
0: was, it was actually directed by the editor
2: of the first one. It, it wasn't was terrible. It was a decent movie. It wasn't four a, years after. Yeah, it wow. wasn't a bad movie or anything. It was just. It's, well, it's more of the same. It's more of the yeah, same. Just yeah. if anything, a little bit more graphic, but yeah. fair enough. The um, and then you know, and then we could talk about Casablanca. Then they had five endings there, and then <laughs> Apocalypse Now had five, you know, five endings or three <laughs> endings. The wow. um, did they ever, did they ever film any of those potential endings? No. In Apocalypse? okay. Because I know, I know, he had a director's cut where he had like a bunch of different scenes and never made it in you know like i think he had a cameo where he pretended to be a um a dj that was doing sos work and like they crashed in the middle of the the fucking forest and then they found him later with like two other chicks and then they ended up getting killed yeah there's a whole other thing like in, in some one of those cuts that like never made it in any dvds yeah it's fucking weird mm. the it's that kind of face weird the um, <laughs> yeah he has a bunch of things like that um uh, it, the um, but uh, but yeah, there's was definitely some. And the other thing too, I was gonna say was uh, was Shakespeare. Shakespeare was notorious for, and this is more of a playwright or a writer type of deal. But he used to sit in the audience, facing the opposite direction of the stage. He used to look at the audience, and he used to have the script in front of him. And he would go through the whole dialogue because he was that crazy. And if the audience reacted strongly to a particular piece of dialogue or a sequence he would write a note saying hey audience did this and then he would go that night and he would change he would add more of whatever the audience loved and mm-hmm. then he would hand brand new pages to his actors and else. And if an audience did, didn't like it he would cut it out so he's literally editing his play as an audience was reacting to it mm-hmm. so, yeah, so he's you
1: know. kind of doing like a little test audience he's like yeah he's like yeah. testing everything out on audience beforehand and yeah, and it, I, I kind of, like, stare at, at, not, I don't face the audience, but as I'm, like, I love doing screenings because I'm able to be in a room with people who don't know me, you know, they have no reason to, like, um, to, like, you know, kiss up to me or anything. So, you know, sometimes I just sit back and I watch, like, how people react to, to and that's what kind of, like, has been shaping my style. A little bit that's what kind of actually pushed me towards horror like me watching people react to taste like medicine because i was just like i wonder how they're gonna react to to drew when he breaks the reality and you know i could feel i remember that there was one screening where like people were laughing and then the laughter just went oh. they were just like oh what is happening and then i could feel it in the room i was like oh wow like i didn't know like it, it, it would work that way so i have been trying to like you know hone in on on you know these things about myself you know I, it's hard for me to like say what I'm good at but I'm just like trying to just like observe and, and watch and like you know make because you know I don't just make movies for myself you know I want people to actually you know enjoy them in some way
2: yeah no absolutely I want to I want a Steven Spielberg jaws audience reaction they had a dude huh. that actually ran out of the theater to the bathroom didn't make it threw up in the middle of the uh, of the lobby of the theater kind of cleaned it up and then turned around and walked back into the theater to continue watching jaws <laughs> wow yeah <laughs> that actually happened <laughs> Ran right past Steven Spielberg too. He was. Steven witnessed this. He's like, he's like, yeah, I was hanging out in the back, and the dude just ran right past me. And I, I was like, I was like, oh, it, like he thought he was gonna get a walkout. He thought somebody was just walking out, and then he yeah. started running. He's like, holy shit, I don't have a walkout. I have a runout. He's wow. fleeing the scene. The uh, and then he made he went into the lobby, threw up all over the lobby, cleaned up, and then walked right back
1: into the theater. Wow. <laughs> I saw somebody walk out of the theater when I was watching... Uh, I saw the Suspiria remake. And uh, once it got to, like, the the final scene where uh, Mother Suspiria shows up, some guy was just like, no, no. He just, like, got up. He just, like, walked out of the theater. I was like, coward.
2: <laughs> Your spirit is weak.
1: No, I'm not even gonna lie. When I... when Uh, When that scene happened, my heart was beating extremely fast because I had seen, uh, I'd seen Mother maybe like a month before and I was still like feeling the effects of watching that film. And then like once it got to that part, I was just like, "Ooh, this is like I have like this weird, it's like this evil mother thing that's been happening with these films I've been watching lately. I wasn't, I was like, oh, this is a little extreme. But yeah, he, he just gotta be walked out. That's fantastic.
0: <laughs> um, Zach, since you're a post-production person, do you have any post-production questions before we move on? I think he's talked a lot about his yeah. post-production, so I think he's covered oh. most
2: of his like boxes. Yeah. Do, do you guys want to have a, a therapy director editor session? <laughs> 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 I don't
0: Stay know. strong. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't know. Um man yeah, the, yeah. Um, Squirrels? you must have to like turn on your turn off your brain your director brain and then turn on your editor brain i'm assuming that's you how you do it. it i don't know just yeah. things flow naturally for me it's never been a problem i, I don't
0: yeah. get it like i mean it's just can't be bias. uh so. it, it's funny because he and i are roommates i'm a dp he's an editor like mm-hmm. i'm the production person he's the post-production person mm-hmm. um We've been going, he's been going through editing episode three of Living Nightmares and I've been doing the color for all the shots and everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm a DP doing the color for his own shots right now. And there are some things where I'm just like, ah, I have to live with it.
1: I know it's like a good learning experience. experience.
0: I think one of the
2: things that helps me out is I also know visual effects. So anything I see I don't like, let me clean that up really quick and no one will ever know that happened. Continue. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like the only thing I can't do post-wise is color, which is why I have him doing it all. Otherwise, if I could do that, I'd mm-hmm.
3: literally be a post army. It's hard. To do yeah, color. yeah. It's hard for me to do color. Yeah, I do sound design.
1: I can do visual effects, uh, I can do editing, I can do all that. Color shit. is fun. Color, color is, is. is super fun. It's it's hard to get um a consistency though. I think that's mm-hmm. probably like the hardest thing. But um I. I Actually, really enjoy doing color. It's like that's super fun. This when you can like really stylize your film. You know, you can really like give it a whole different look and feel. And um, yeah, I actually I really enjoy the color process.
2: I love the visual effects process. That's my entertaining portion, at least when it doesn't include the fixing your fuck up portion of it. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, Zach yeah, almost started a post. business called called Fix My Fuck Up. The um, uh, an editing service. The uh, although I th- I really wish you would have. Um, uh, I hate
3: part doing that one of, of the uh, Midwest so tedious. Yeah, hey, that
0: that work of yours did end up in a award winning short film at can
2: I don't know how. <laughs>
0: Congrats, man. I have never heard that before because he does. He learned this from me like maybe a month ago. No, it's been at and least three it, months now. Three months now, longer well, than that. Time flies. Yeah. Um. No, two months. Two months because I just I just got the check for that job, and the other day. Sure. And Marcus <laughs> told me on the drive back from it. Yeah, what <laughs> happened was there was um, a short film where Zach had to pretty much paint out. An actor's lav mic that was present in like every shot was every
2: it? shot he was in. Wow, there was a lav mic on his shirt, and thankfully it was a plain white button-up shirt. If it was, if it wasn't for that fact, I wouldn't have been able to do anything. But he was the director, so he couldn't see what the cameraman was like looking at. I don't know why his camera operator didn't point it out. I would have been infuriated, but.
0: Boy. Yeah, well, it was a good paycheck so I don't care. But yeah. um <laughs> but the uh the person who got Zach the job um he was helping me out on a gig 2 months ago. Uh, we were filming a commercial for a dance academy and on the drive back he mentioned that that short won an award at Cannes Film Festival. And so oh, I nice. told that, and Zach couldn't believe it. <laughs> nice. Part so so we'll never know where your work's going to go. Yeah, yeah supposedly. Really, at least I could say I have some canned visual effects work.
2: So good
0: for me. Yeah, that's
2: yeah. that just something you can write on your resume. Just saying. Or your
0: IMDb. <laughs> thing.
2: Yeah, or your IMDb. <laughs> yeah. the, it's uh, on there, the, so. The, uh, there is that. There is that. Yeah. That's so
0: nice. speaking of awards, uh, let's mm-hmm. talk a bit about the uh, reception and festival run of the Darkstroms. Uh, we. You were at New Jersey HorrorCon and Film Festival. We mentioned right. that it won Best Cinematography there and was nominated for quite a few other awards, too. Um, has it played at any other film festivals? Like, what kind of reception have you received for the Darkstrom so far?
1: Uh, so, yeah, it's played a total of five, including the New Jersey HorrorCon and Film Festival. Yeah. Um, I mean, the reception's been, it's been pretty good. You know, Um, I haven't gotten into, like, any, like, the big festivals, but I'm also learning that um, horror is, like, kind of hard to, like, break into certain festivals. A lot of people just aren't receptive to it. Um, But, yeah, I've been focusing more on, like, you know, finding genre film festivals. That's what I've been having, like, my most success with, like... You know, New Jersey Horror Con and Film Festival. I was, like, I was really excited to get into that one. Um, Because, you know, I was able to, like, really just go out and interact with the horror community, meet you guys, obviously. You know, and this isn't something that's, you know, at all film festivals. You know, if you get into, if you get into Cannes, you know, there isn't, like, a, you know, people just like dedicated to drama films it isn't like a drama con you know like people aren't showing up for for that but you know um i, I was able to like really like learn more about the the whole horror community and it's like it's been really really cool you
3: mm-hmm. know
1: and um, i want to i want to continue to to be within this be within this genre you know kind of bring my own thing to it, because um, I, I feel like it's there's like no cap on 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 what your imagination can be within this genre. You can do anything, pretty much. You know, fear is universal. You know, you, you can you can find a bunch of different ways to to display that. And um, yeah, this the the festival run's been pretty cool so far. You know, I have submissions all the way until next year. So I'm um, just going to continue to try to build a fan base for this uh, film before, you know, I release it online, um, continue to, you know, get followers on Instagram and all these things. And, you know, hopefully it can, you know, translate to something. I don't plan on selling this film. I plan on, you know, releasing this like maybe next year, you know, release it online for, for public viewing. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to, you know, start writing my future.
0: Good. And I'm glad it sounds like you're going to be sticking with the horror genre um, mm-hmm. that you really felt at home with the horror community as well. That's mm-hmm. actually one of the reasons why we started the Midwest Horror Network is because there are a lot of people that just aren't receptive to horror for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. we want to bring a lot of filmmakers together and really show that no horror is just as meaningful as any other genre out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad that you found a good way to express yourself through the horror genre, in the horror, in the horror genre, in your own right. unique way. Yes, yeah. right. and then
2: also, and also, people can be successful outside of the traditional studio system, and you know, and people can be just as successful in New York and Los Angeles just as much as they can be successful in Chicago and other parts of the Midwest, and you know, and pretty much anywhere film doesn't have to be set in a, in a geographical location anymore. We're not in that. The, uh, the identity of, of film and especially this genre, uh, which has gained a lot of steam in in the last, you know, 10 years, even more so for more people participating in it. um, I think it's a, it's a really exciting time um, Mm -hmm. uh, to be getting involved in this stuff. And we appreciate filmmakers like yourself who are, you know who are you know taking a different stance on it and, and coming with something new and something fresh, um, and you know, and just and doing your own thing, you know, you're just doing your own thing, you you know. You said you said yourself, like, I'm, I don't want to sell this film right now, I'll release it to the public when I'm ready. Um, right. uh, you know, right now, I want to shop around and see what you know what I can do with it, so
1: yeah. And also, just as a side note, I would, if my if I could make a horror film, like if somebody was just like, all right. You, if you're going, to, if somebody gave me a budget to make a a horror feature film, I definitely want to do either a remake or a sequel to Jeepers Creepers Two, not the one, not Jeepers Creepers Three, <laughs> that's on Netflix. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's, <laughs> the Mario-
2: <laughs> it's the Mario Party edition.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Um, but I would, I would love to even just do like my own uh anthology like my own creeper story you know even if it takes place in a different century or whatever like i would love to do like my own creeper one that's like one of my uh that's like one of my that might be my favorite horror franchise i know it's extremely derivative of like a few other you know films but uh i just remember seeing that in theaters like i think this was around the time i was working at a movie theater um and it was like it was like just the right amount of scary for me it was just like just the right amount you know it's like not enough to give me nightmares but it's definitely enough for me to be like holy shit like what is this it was also like was pretty cool
2: oh yeah and it had the right amount of fun to it yeah. too right you know like, there was a there's a little bit of meta a little bit of fun um, and the right amount of horror to it, um, you know, especially that when that girl was the girl was telling her brother, and then you know that scene in horror movies where everybody, where somebody does something stupid and everybody hates him for it. This is yep. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or when she runs mm-hmm. him over, runs the creeper over like three times. He's right. like, let's be sure he's really dead. <laughs> to literally reverse drive, reverse. Drive. Oh
1: no! Wait, I, he, I'm, uh, a big, I'm
2: a big fan too. Yeah, yeah I like, love the scene that, 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 where
1: the old woman, like he, like the old woman is at the door, but he's like kind of like he like has her by the back, and he's like kind of pushing her through the door. Like I was just like, ooh, like the lighting, like the silhouette around her face and everything. Like,
2: yeah, I the uh, him, and, then, and then also too at the very end when the cops show up in riot gear, it makes me laugh every yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. the, the the redneck brigade shows up in all this
3: <laughs> cool here to so the you know, It's
0: one of the funniest scenes of the whole movie. Yeah. I actually always preferred the uh, the second one. I do enjoy yeah. the second one too. I do. The one's I, pretty
2: good. The uh, especially the uh, when he when he makes that rig up, um, uh, the uh, the whole the giant rig um, is yeah. awesome. With the the harpoon gun is it's fucking yeah.
1: sick. The, I, uh, I remember I saw that film so many times. I had counted how many times the father stabbed the creeper. Like when he, like before he kills him, I think he stabbed him like 39 times. I think I counted it at one point because I have seen the movie so many times in theaters. I was just like, oh, let me just count how many. I think it might be 39. I think it might have like, cause it's, it's like, it was so long. It was like a minute long of him stabbing the creeper. It was like pretty bizarre. <laughs> the um, it, it would have been really
2: cool if they stabbed him twenty three times. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like ideally, the way I would want to do the sequel is I would pick up with the the creeper. Like they they have them like on a cross.
0: Yeah,
1: the show up at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would I would want to pick up right there
2: nice that, the um, yeah. i remember seeing that trailer and being so fucking jacked for it cuz i used um uh, meet the creeper by rob zombie in the uh in the trailer and mm-hmm. and i was like wow this is this is a, uh, this is going to be exciting the uh, yeah. and it was exciting
1: mm-hmm. yeah I, I would love to would love for- to redo
2: that um,
0: I think we're ready for your question, in the podcast. You,
2: you know what though, I, I I would you know at the New Jersey Con, you know I'd love to talk about that real quick though. Right. What was you know what was it like for you to to, to go up and accept you know accept the award? And, you know what was that feeling like um, uh, when they actually you know they called your name and said hey you know this is the, you're getting this. Oh wow, it was. Um, I don't know.
1: It's it's like. I don't want to say I was surprised because like I showed up there with the intention of hoping to win. <laughs> you know, so it's not like <laughs> I was I was like, I mean, I was I was shocked that we got nominated for three different awards. I was like, oh wow. I was like, that's pretty cool because you know, I'd be getting rejected by a bunch of festivals to then get nominated for three awards at this other one. I was just like, oh, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. I was like, all right, I'm not gonna win all three. That's not gonna happen. And I was like, so I could wind up actually getting none. So I was like, I was still kind of like a little antsy about it because I was like, I really want to, I really want to win one. Uh, I really wanted to win. Uh, I, I wanted to win best screenplay um, because I, 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 I really try my best to like keep the story intact. Um, but you know, when we won Best in Cinematography, I was it was like you know super humbling, and it was like it was like a lot of fun, you know, because I I was able to see a few of the other films, and there were some pretty good ones. I saw some pretty yeah. good films there, um, and yeah, I have to I have to also think like, you know, those are just the films that made it into the festival. There's a bunch of films that didn't make it, you know. There's four, we know, you know, it could be like over a thousand films. Submitted, so should able know, to get past, to get into the festival, and then to be nominated, and then to win. You know, it's it's um, it's pretty cool. And then and I thought the award was like really really cool too. Oh
0: yeah, oh uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's carved and it's actually right
1: here. Hold on, wait, I'll show it to you guys. Nice. So there is nice. Yeah, best. Yeah, um, this was like really, really, really cool. It's like it's handcrafted, it's like wood. It's um, I know like Christina Ricci, she got her own. I know, um, Who else got their own? Charlie Sheen, he got his own. Uh, what was it? What was the kid who um played John Connor in T2? What was his name? What's the actor's name? Because he was there, Eddie Furlong. Yeah, his his looks really it's this, but it's the Terminator, so it has like the, like, the red eye. It's and it's like this part is like the like the uh, metal that's dripping, like where the blood is. So it it, it looks really, really cool. I was, I was super hey. jealous. Um,
2: oh, so
1: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, the the award itself was like really, really cool. Um, and then uh, the award ceremony was really nice. Like they gave us like, um, you know they had like these uh like videos that would play beforehand. It was just like they put a lot of time and effort into it, and, and it does. It feels good to know that like all those days where I was just like you know yelling at people and just crying in the bathroom. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's it's okay because I won an award. It does feel pretty good. Good, and it really was a fun little award ceremony that they had too. Right, yeah. right, and it had nice little karaoke after as well that was pretty nice um and oh and and as actually i was walking i was uh i was walking through the hotel with my award like after everything and uh like this young black kid i i guess i think he might have worked at the hotel maybe so like i'm walking with the award he's like he's like yo he's like yo you won i was like I was like, yeah, yeah, I won. He's like, he's like, you, you won an award for filming, and I was like, I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah. He was like super, super excited that I had won, and like it was like even like five seconds later after he had walked past me, I could hear him going, yeah, yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like it, 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 like that was like probably like the coolest part about winning the award is just like, you know, maybe he wants to film one day, maybe you know that's something that's on his radar and you know I guess for him to like see somebody that looks like him win an award at this film festival like it, it resonated with him um, so that's probably like the the best part about winning this award so far like just meeting that kid like even though it was like a very brief encounter but like he was he was that way more excited than I was <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was it was crazy but yeah it was that was like the probably like the best part about winning this award.
0: Nice. Nice.
2: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. The uh, what? Well, I guess it's. I guess it's my turn. Um. Uh, the uh, the question of the podcast. Um. Uh, the uh, your films inspired me, so I want to talk about black and white. Mm-hmm. Um So, what is a black and white film that really resonates with you, or really speaks with you? Um. Uh, something that you know has a lot of meaning to you, or a lot of impact to you. You know, at any point. Um, and you're like, just something, you know what? You know what? that That's super awesome. I love that. Um, all right, uh, right, you right, know. wait,
1: I'll show you. I'll show
3: you.
2: Oh, uh, oh, oh, all right. All right. Yeah, uh, yes. nice. Yeah, this
1: yeah. is a laser disc.
2: Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, a laser
0: disc. Uh, you don't know it yet but you and I just became best friends.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. You want to go to a karate in the car? Yep. Yep. You can't find here you can't find it here. Gentlemen, this is the war room.
1: <laughs> no, this uh I saw this uh I think I saw it in college. Yeah, I saw this in college. It was like one of my film classes. And um I was just laughing so hard watching this film. It was just um it's just satire at its best. And it was just so visually striking, like the war room, you know, that black, like, it's like, like I said, it's timeless. It's timeless. It's like, no matter what, you're always going to feel it. You know, you show this to anybody at any point in time, um, the, I mean, the story itself, you know, is going to remain, but um, visually, you know, it's, it's crisp, it's clean, it's, um it's hard to like hide anything in it I feel like it's it's just like so beautiful yeah so yeah if you want some black and white get you get the laser disc so you can watch it in two different parts
3: nice <laughs> love it D nice. well I got a few yes um, one that I really enjoyed watching was sunset on Boulevard Mm-hmm. Um and then one big one is Nosferatu, so I'm going way, way back. Ah, very wow. nice. Very Just nice. because I'm a big Rom Stroker uh fan. And the mm-hmm. fact that the um they got sued because they they technically stole his story <laughs> when they <laughs> which is true. The I think his wife uh sued the filmmakers there because they copied his story. Wow. So perfect. that's one of my favorites, uh, black and whites. That's because of how they used uh contrast because you're shooting black and white so you have to have that right balance right. of contrast so mm-hmm. that one's mine Nice, Zach? Young Frankenstein
2: damn it the, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you... Did, did you seriously Ooh.
0: steal marks again? yeah
2: that's <laughs> <laughs> actually one of a couple he didn't steal all of them but uh, but yeah that's a pretty
0: fucking keep awesome keep listening to them Zach <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> try me Try me. Go ahead.
2: The uh, but why Young Frankenstein? Because it's fucking hilarious. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's a really easy one. The, the movie uh, is an all-time classic, and it'll probably be my favorite Frankenstein story for all for like all of eternity. I don't care. Screw the original. Young Frankenstein's way more. Awesome. Their road, their <laughs> castle, their <laughs> werewolf. Why are you talking, talking like that? I don't I know. What you wanted <laughs> to? <laughs>
0: All
2: right,
1: use it yourself.
2: Put, <laughs> the candle back. <laughs> the. Uh... Oh my God! What knockers? Oh, thank you, doctor. God, that movie is fucking amazing. Anyway, sorry, man. Go on. All right. Um, other than that, Abra Casalemi, Frankenstein. That was one of my maybes. Yeah. How is that a maybe? Yeah, yeah that's because well, I. It's oh, no, Mark, I stole the... another one of yours. Yeah, all right, fine, 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 fine. No, that <laughs> movie comes second place to the like one of the funniest classic uh comedies of all time. Any Abbott and Costello movie, I can watch a thousand times over. I love those guys. Screw the Three Stooges, they suck compared to those two. <laughs> yeah, no, always a Mark's <laughs> guy, yeah, uh, yeah. All right, anyways, really?
0: um. So my number one pick probably is actually a TV episode. And that's the episode of the Twilight Zone entitled Eye of the Beholder, mm. which, have any of you ever seen that one? Uh, so it's about this, basically, it takes place in this society where people, it's essentially, if you're an ugly person, you're sent off to these, like, it's essentially a concentration camp. They don't call it that, but that's what it is. Um, And so there's this woman who is ugly, and she's been going through like plastic surgery procedures for like all her life to try to look beautiful. And so like 90% of the episode, her face is wrapped in bandages, and she's pretty much just waiting for, it's after a procedure, so she's just waiting for the time for the doctor to take the bandages off. And during that time, it's all the doctors and all the rest of the cast they're just cast in shadows. so you don't see what anybody looks like throughout the entire episode until the very end. And if you haven't seen the episode yet, I don't want to spoil the ending because I do think it is one of the best endings to a Twilight Zone ever. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way it was shot with shadows and um, just everything it was... It's everything that black and white could do, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I want an actual black and white movie... Um probably my favorite would be the Henry Fonda movie from 1957 12 Angry Men yeah. which is about 12 jurors for a murder trial hmm. and it's directed by Sidney Lumet who also did um Dog Day Afternoon Network Serpico um, but I think 12 Angry Men is by far his best movie and that is a movie where it's like the shots like what actors they have in the frame at what time is always relevant to what's being said. And there's one shot in particular where there's a character essentially going on this whole racist rant and the yeah. other 11 jurors aren't having it, but there's letting him have his rant. And they're just without saying a single word, essentially protesting everything he's saying. And it's, and uh, We all know close-ups. We all know two shots, three shots. This shot's a freaking 12 shot. It gets every cast member in there. And it's just one of those powerful moments in 1950s cinema. And maybe even just movies in general, I think. Absolutely. The, um, and actually, that, that movie, this
2: movie's so funny. Because on paper, if you were to describe the plot to somebody who had never seen it and know nothing about it, it would sound like the most boring fucking movie you've ever heard of. But it is the exact opposite of that, you know. The you know, oh, make a movie exciting about twelve men sitting around and talking about a trial that mm-hmm. you did not see. Yeah, about a trial that you didn't see, like you know, and 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 make that exciting. And they made that fucking exciting. It's crazy. It's it's a, an excellent movie. Um, the um, I have a obviously the Young know, Frankenstein, Abba and Costello are great ones. Young Twelve um, uh, Angry Men are, are great ones as well. Um, uh, the, um, I think a good runner up for me, there's a lot of them I love. Uh, I can talk about the old Cagney movies, um, the gangster movies that really resonated with me. Um, uh, uh, the roaring twenties is one in particular that really resonated with me. Um, it's a wonderful life. Casablanca clerks. Um, uh, the, uh, I, I know I put that in the category with the rest of them. Um, uh, the, uh, um, I think, the um, psycho, most of Hitchcock. Um, uh, the two, I'm gonna. I keep him one on the wings because that's that probably one of my number ones. But two ones that really stick me out are half in color and half in black and white. Is Wizard of Oz and Pleasantville. Um, uh, Wizard of Oz in particular, just because the whole movie is in black and white, and, and you really got a feel about what's going on. But when she opens up that door for the first time, um, I, you know, I couldn't imagine being an audience member in 1939 and seeing Technicolor. Literally just like her opening up that door when she's in Oz for the first time. And the fucking door is still black and white. Like when she op- when before she opens it up, if you watch it, the door the shot's still in black and white, but when she opens up the door, technical. Um uh, it's just the contrast of, of those two worlds balancing them itself out that really hits me. Um the um I would I would probably you know what? I screw the other one. I think the um uh, Casablanca and um, uh, and the uh, it's a wonderful life are probably up the to top ones. I'm mean, you know what I'm gonna say Casablanca probably. Um it's one of my it's my favorite Bogart movie right next to uh you know um Roaring Twenties. It is a fantastic movie. Another movie that had five endings. Um uh and <laughs> um and not to mention that just you know the style that you know that movie the look of that movie is fantastic and it was also one of the first movies and you could see it that's that had a lot of ad living in it. You know, you could tell that they were making that script up as they went. Um, uh, and to watch um, uh, um, the uh, – I always forget the actor that plays the, uh, the inspector. But him and, uh, and and Humphrey Bogart just sitting outside the club and just bullshitting back and forth. Um, uh, you know, nowadays, you know, that would be commonplace and dialogue for them to do that in 1943. 42. 42, you know, uh, for them to ad-lib back and forth is truly fantastic. And you know, back when film was like it really did cost a lot of money. It was actual fucking film. And um it's a movie that still resonates with me today. Um and then obviously it's a wonderful life for obvious reasons. But yeah, it was one of my favorites. So um so yeah, that's that covers black and white.
0: The uh, <laughs> cool. so I think we got a good variety of picks.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The uh respecting the Doctor Strange um uh, that's that's actually a really good pick.
0: The, yeah uh,
2: yeah, especially on disc. The uh, Brandon and I have, have a running joke about laser LaserDiscs. Um, uh, we had a uh, a, um, a a girl who was an AD on a, on a one of ours, and she was a younger college student.
0: And exactly. Well, pretty close to ten years younger than me. I was born in nineteen ninety. She was born in two thousand. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. Her, me. Um was there somebody else there was, was like, nobody else it was, else. It was it, we
2: she just drew the shirt under the stick to be right
0: with us yeah so we were talking about laser disc
2: and she's <laughs> like what's that the um uh, she's like well i know what vhs is because i i saw that on like stranger things or something so like, <laughs> and oh. she
0: also had older brothers too
2: oh yeah that's right she did have older brothers and everything else and uh we we're cracking jokes about uh uh about different things it's just crazy to see technology go that far
0: yeah, we were uh, talking about laser discs, and we were also talking about the 1958 <laughs> version of the Blob of the with Steve blo- McQueen. The
2: oh god! The,
0: and then <laughs> the incident happened the next night, right before filming night two. Oh
2: yeah, we, there a joke was made on in, in the movie Goosebumps with Jack Black. And one of the characters is is literally reenacting one of the scenes from the movie and saying saying yeah the Blob and then you know with Steve McQueen and everything else it's like I got a laser disc at home if you want to watch it <laughs> just one of us burst in the laughter and Zach is like what, what's the matter with you two it's like you don't understand that we just talked about this um, and it's also the reason why I've been traumatized for life because um, uh, that's the reason why I watched the nineteen was it eighties or seventies Blob. Um, uh, the remake,
0: 1988.
2: the '88 blob, because my mom thought, oh, it's it's like the Steve McQueen black and white one, and then mm-hmm. I watched it's whole, black and white. And, 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 but she's like, oh, it's like that, and it's not like that at all. <laughs> they, <laughs> horrible things happen to people, including children. Um, uh, <laughs> horrible things happen, <laughs> like that one kid gets pulled out of the blob, and he's half fucking eaten oh, by the blob. Shit. And you and and then you know and I saw that when I was that kid's age,
1: <laughs>
2: and everybody wonders why I'm so fucked in the head. <laughs>
0: Thanks, mom. <laughs>
2: the, uh, like most things in life, but uh, but yeah, I think that's a good place to 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 wrap it up about my childhood it. trauma. <laughs> yeah,
0: I think that's a good place to wrap this up too. Absolutely. Uh, so, Stephen, thank you for being here. Uh, before. Um, we Leave our audience. Uh, is there anything you want to plug? Where can we find you on social media? Um, the table's yours. floor's yours, sir. Uh,
1: so, first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me. This is super cool. Um, this is my first time doing a podcast. Um, so, yeah, this has been a really cool experience. Um, if anybody wants to stay up to date on the dark strums, uh, we have an Instagram page uh, at the Dark Strums Film. Um, so yeah, uh, any like upcoming screenings, um, anything of that nature when we release it online, like you'll find out uh, through through our Instagram page. Um, yeah, and uh, should we have the IMDb page for the film soon? Uh, if you guys want to follow that as well, uh, but yeah, just just follow us on follow us on Instagram.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much.
1: Um, uh, and then,
2: uh, like we were saying before, uh, please check out those other wonderful interviews we will have posted up. Uh, remember that we're on Spotify, uh, come and find us. We'll put, we'll put links, uh, in the, in this video below. Uh, and then as always, please, uh, tell your aunts, brothers, sisters, uncles, best friends, cousins, all about our channel. Um, uh, we got to get those, uh, subscriber counts up. <laughs> um, but we really appreciate, um, all people that are watching and all listening. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Mm-hmm. Bye. Y'all
3: have a good night. I did have some final thoughts, though. Just oh, that we were you,
2: supposed to, oh, oh, yeah. The yeah.
0: Uh, oh. <laughs> Go ahead, man. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> that's, <Yeah>. that's, <laughs> post credit scene. Hey,
3: post I I credit guess, David.
2: <laughs> Zach, have fun with that post. David, <laughs> final thoughts. No, you're editing <laughs> it. This time you jerk. I'm going to be the one editing
3: it. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, it's like a grenade that's been pulled. No, you yeah. do
2: it. No, you do
3: it. <laughs> do it. I did I did enjoy watching um, Dark Strums. Um. Love the fact that you didn't get too stuck on the aspect of gore, but you you got stuck on the aspect of fear. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then a big shout out to I think Olivia, what was her name? The artist,
1: <laughs> yeah. wonderful voice, wonderful voice. Yeah, she's very dope. You can follow her. I think her Instagram is Olivia Griffin. Yeah, if you if you look at her on Instagram, it's like Olivia Griffin, uh, the actor who played Robert Johnson, Damien. Uh, I think his Instagram handle is Damien the Great. Kaylin Jordan, who plays Sylvia, her her Instagram is Kaylin Jordan, um, and Lee Scatsman, Um He's he was the antique worker, um, but yeah, they're they're all on my on the Instagram as well. If you guys want to reach out and you know talk to them as well, absolutely That's cool. Nice. Zach, Squirrels knew that was coming.
0: Brandon, <laughs> I really like your work. I can't wait to see what you do next.
1: Yeah. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that, man. You guys are super dope. Absolutely. And as
2: and Brandon always always uses steals mine and as Zach does. Um <laughs> I can't I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh you, you got amazing talent about you. You're covering stories that not a lot of people know about. Um uh, keep doing it. Um uh, you, and then, and then and of course, um I speak for myself and the rest of the guys. Anytime that you want to come on, we do our regular podcast mm-hmm. where we'll take a genre of horror films. Um, Mm -hmm. and then we just, we, we just discuss it. Um, we pick our favorites and we tell everybody why, and we have a good time uh, doing that. So, uh, anytime that you want to come back for that, you are more than welcome, sir. All right. We have to do
1: Jeepers Creepers episode.
2: Oh, Oh, then yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Done. Okay. Done. Done. Yes, That is done. Done. That is, that is, that is already done. Yeah. Yeah. You won't get much disagreement from this crowd. (laughs) So just gives us a reason to watch all three movies again. Yeah, we have to watch all three. we have to watch the two movies? No, there's three. Just one's really Uh, fucking hilarious.
1: Three. The third one's hilarious. Uh, uh, There's a third one? There is a third third one. It's it's Netflix. It's not. It's Netflix. It's uh, It's not
0: a movie.
3: It's Netflix. It's Netflix. Netflix. That is
2: a Simpsons joke if I ever heard one. Holy shit. (laughs) Good. The um uh, the uh, that is oh my Simpsons god Simpsons did it first the uh, Simpsons public. did it we we make Netflix sound like the special child we don't talk about <laughs> that's because <laughs> it's not, instead of direct to DVD oh it's straight to Netflix okay the uh, the dumping ground of the world um uh, the uh I don't know there is also
0: Crackle remember Crackle oh, oh fuck I Crackle. do I do remember it's where Crackle. Joe Dirt two
2: premiered oh really oh oh that's oh. it premiered yeah <laughs> <laughs> premiered the, the uh, this is just oh my god, or, like wow, wow, they uh, you know, that's that's almost like going back to like e bombs,
3: e yeah. are and we're, I, not, we're not gonna talk about splatter either. So oh, really? Oh, a, oh, what, wow.
2: really? Now we're you have to bring it up. About- <laughs> the uh, if you have a half an hour, Steven, um, uh, <laughs> go, go on gonna. Netflix and watch a, a a a Joe Dante 30 minute, formerly choose your own adventure horror movie with Tony Todd.
0: And Corey Feldman.
2: And Corey, and uh, it's main... As Corey Feldman. uh, Starring Corey Feldman, which I'm also pretty sure that this was filmed in Corey Feldman's house, and Corey Feldman was paid in cocaine to film this movie. That sounds about right. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah. uh, You know what? It's hard to describe. (laughs) Just, just go <laughs> like, see it, but you can't help you. You cannot hold us responsible for what you view. I won't be able to <laughs> can Tell me about yeah. it
0: after we finish recording, Mark. Oh,
2: the, uh, <laughs> oh Jesus. All right, on that note, thank you so much. My, um, uh, <laughs> we all uh, appreciate you. We appreciate you, Stephen. <laughs> Take it easy, y'all.
0: Follow us thank at you. Midwest Farm Network. That too.
1: See <laughs> you guys.